exactly. <laughs> are you in? It. Are you in Bermuda right now? <laughs> yeah, <came> <laughs> that, that's some hot. That's some hot tax news at the moment. Seeing uh, Joe Biden and Yellen have said they're trying to implement uh, global taxation policy for U.S. companies. So, like how Ireland have got their twelve point five percent rate or whatever, which is why all like. Facebook and Adobe, Google, everyone you could imagine, Pfizer are all over in Ireland. They're putting pressure on places like that. So, yeah. Tax should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. G'day scholars and welcome back to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. It's what the nerds are watching and this is episode 9, Wrestlemania Week Review. I'm your host, Dom Philp, on the mic. Not too hard, not too soft, but just right. We're coming to you free of charge every single Friday on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. Best way that you can support is to rate, review, subscribe, tweet it out, you can Instagram it out, you can Facebook it out, you can MySpace it out, you can Habbo Hotel it out, you could TikTok it out if you're under 12. That's about all I'm going to do here for the intro today because we've got a nice Big Daddy podcast, a little bit like Big Daddy Walter, coming at you. So let's get straight to it. A little bit of a change of format. Let's send it over to Dom to hear about it and what the nerds are watching. I've been watching you a la 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 long, a la 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 long, 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 come on. I was going to say, is the wrestling that bad? We've talked to tax chat. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is what I've signed up for. This is a bit of tax chat. Yeah. What, what, this, it's up to you guys. Tax or the fiend? What do people want to care about? <laughs> well, the, the the fiend's dad was into a bit of tax, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> <Not> work. <laughs> and we, so, how are we going to do this, Dom? You're the you're the you're you're the boss. Are we uh, are we going to do it chronologically? So, is it NXT NXT night one? I, I guess so. Yeah, so that's what we'll do. Um, and I will sort of properly introduce. I'm glad we started with some tax, though. Um, I don't normally I, I don't normally do a bit of an introduction on this part of the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast, but I, I think I'd better just to let people know that Ross the Boss Casey is having a week off. And what we've done is they always say in wrestling that if the card changes, you have to replace the dropout with something that's twice as good. So we've got two replacements. Ro and Shafi are both here. Feel free to say hello, lads. Hello, Hello, lads. Right. Yeah, good, good content, good content. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're here. It's a little bit different this week. The format, ah, oh, it's pretty much the same, but we're going to start with what the nerds are watching, and we're just going to talk about um, WrestleMania week, really, because apparently that was a pretty big deal in the world of wrestling. I know uh, my body is stealing it after sort of staying up late here in the UK the last few nights in a row and then going to the pub and getting mortaled yesterday. So, um what we yeah let's start it with uh nxt let's do who's, let's just do nxt we'll do it all in one go right so because i can't remember what happened on which night i'm not prepared enough to have a rundown in front of me um so nxt obviously the big takeaways from the two nights of action were the brand new champion and Karen cross i guess but i just want to ask you guys like what stood out we um, I don't think there's any easy way to do this other than we all just like jump in with our thoughts here, right? <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll kick off then. Um, I, I think um, I think Connolly is obviously a big cross fanboy. I'm I'm usually the the work rate part of the group, but I am um, 
I really enjoyed Cross versus Balor. I think that there's um, I think there's actually an interesting juxtaposition to one we'll talk about Mania later in terms of storytelling inside matches and like as in like the physical storytelling. And I I, I love the idea of Finn Balor being like being cleverer than Cross and out and outwitting him essentially and using his his brain to beat him until Cross through his pure monsterness and his pure brutality just started elbowing the shit out of or just well ground and pounding the shit out of um Balor and then tearing him up in pretty in pretty quick pretty quick work. And I think I think in terms of on the monster theme as well, the Champa Walter, which told a different story, but also a brilliant physical story containing a monster, which is obviously a simple one, but Walter's massive choppy right hand was taken out until he just finally just went, No fuck, I'm gonna use it slap Champa down and then yeah, beat him there and then as well. And I I, I yeah, as a as a bit of a work rate nerd, that those matches get me a bit of a seminar. I what do you think about the um well what does everyone think about the laughing and the smiling in the main event? Like that because that seemed like a big a big storyline part of it. it. Was like they every time at the start Cross would sort of, you know, fire a shot, Balor would try to laugh. And I, I mean, I thought it was an interesting wrinkle, but the whole time I was just there like, this is going to look so bad when you lose. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't watch. So I, I, I only watch the takeovers and like, and I've only started recently. And like for me, because I don't know if, the, if that's Finn's new sort of like thing, it's just a cocky, cocky heel. But I was like, this guy could literally crush you in like a few minutes. And it just didn't, it just didn't work when he was just smiling really like arrogantly. Um, I was just like, yeah, any second, this guy, if he wants to, he'll literally just crush you. And he did. Like, the, I thought the, yeah. the ending, I actually thought the ending was like a botch or something because it just suddenly ended with like an, an elbow to the back of the head. And then um, he just covered him and that was it. So I was just like that. I mean, it was realistic, but it, I was like, it was just really weird seeing Finn. Like he did it once, twice, and then he kept doing it. And I was like, this it's just, I don't know. It just felt weird. It, it was really interesting, like, the parallels between those matches. They they both, like, the Walter and the Champa and the Cross and Balor I'm talking about now, but they, they both finished with, like, a move that's not necessarily a finisher, right? Like, Walter finished just with the chop. I say just with the chop. I'm not letting that guy chop me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, like, it, I just thought that was really interesting. Um, but actually kind of cool. Um, in a way, just sort of shows the, the two types of champions. I mean, I I hope we get them against each other at some point in the future. That's been teased for a while, hasn't it? Like, I think that was maybe the plan that was going to run. Um, You're on about Bala Walter, right? In terms, of yeah, Bala. yeah. No, yeah. I know, I know um, cross Walter, cross Walter now. Oh, right, yeah, but I, I I'd also love Bala and what like I've I've been saying I wanted that match for since since it was announced for that takeover, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Champa must have been knackered by the end because there was that spot where he was running the couch to 5K just trying to get his shots in on a water just to get chopped back down and start all over. <laughs> Although it was, it, was, it was bordering on the comedian, but it actually felt realistic like on a game when you just spam, you go, well, this is working. I'll just keep doing it. I'll just keep running and hitting. And then eventually yeah. water becomes wise to it. He goes, well, you've done that 10 times now. I really like that spot, but in isolation, it probably looked ridiculous. I, I mean, I, I think there's an argument that that um, Walter Champa match, it's, it's right at the top of the matches of the whole week, right? 
Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd go one step further. I don't think anything gets close to it. I think yeah. the, the, the probably the second best match was Walter versus Rampage Brown of the week. I yeah, did anyone, anyone else see that? Because I didn't. I missed that one. I didn't see that. Was that on the UK show? The um, NXT UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Prelude. yeah. yeah the, the the words the words worth epic. <laughs> well, yeah, that was good. I, I saw it. It was good. But like, it's exactly how you think that match would look, right? From like uh, Walter and Brown throwing bombs, and then eventually Walter's bombs are bigger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D- different in style to the the, the Champa match, but but also as well. What, I mean, what's incredible about that? Walter, well, for me personally, Walter had the two matches of the week in matches where we we hundred percent knew the result in both matches. So that just shows how fucking good he is at wrestling. He's the, the best wrestler in the world, isn't he? Essentially. I I think it's pretty hard to argue, but what I will do, we've actually, so obviously Ross isn't here this week, but he, he did send in a little bit of a tidbit that he wanted to add to this conversation, didn't he, about how he, he wanted us to mention our thoughts on whether we felt that Finn Balor, since going back to NXT, had cemented his status as the best wrestler in the world um, through the way that he's reinvented himself. Um, I don't know if anyone's got any hot takes on that. I, I I got annoyed at Ross because I've been saying that for about six months, um, and then Ross was Ross came in like it was like he invented it, and I so like my reply to him straight away was just pretty much like "fuck off, mate," like I'm going to rip this apart because this was my idea. But so I, I didn't really have anything too much outside of that, other than. Uh, Ross said that if Balor went back to New Japan now, he'd be the person to save New Japan. And I just think that would be a complete waste of Balor now. I think he's almost, he's come too far. That would be a massive step backwards in my mind for this guy who I would love to see him. I mean, I hope he doesn't go and get lost on the main roster, but I I think the next step for Balor is going to be Roman. I hope. That's that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see Balor go go to SmackDown. I'd like to hear Shafi's thoughts because he made a face that suggested <laughs> that he completely disagreed with the, uh, the proposal from Ross. So, Shafi, have the floor. I was just thinking it's incredible how brave uh, Ross the Boss is with all these hot takes when he's not here to defend himself, isn't it? <laughs> um, as we all know, Ross is known for hyperbole. Um, best wrestler in the world, Finn Balor. Okay. I mean, I don't know what to say. I, I'll be honest with you. It's only fair to be open. I don't watch NXT. Um, I tend to only watch the takeovers. Um, since Balor's been there, I've tended to skip the takeovers as well. So this is the first one that I've watched uh, in, in, in its entirety uh, in quite some time. And I skipped night two as well. Um, I haven't got around to watching it. There's just simply been too much wrestling over the last week. So I haven't even seen night two. And having not seen Finn Balor in the last six months, I can still confidently say there's absolutely no way he's the best wrestler in the world. Not even close. There's just... He might be in the top 10 best Irish wrestlers in the world. I don't know. I might be willing to make that sort of provision for him. Um, is, is, well, is he top three? Is he better than uh, Becky, Sheamus and Devlin? Um, as a person, he probably makes the top three because of one of them. Let's uh, <laughs> not... Let's. let's you, I mean, you, you're selling the moth short there as well. Let's not forget. Let's not forget Martina. Just to yeah. bring it back around, seeing as <laughs> you've been saying that Finn Balor is the best wrestler in the world for the last six months, Dom. Maybe you could you could 
sell me in 30 seconds? I just think that the way that he's been presented on NXT is like that unbeatable, smarmy character that actually is like, and like, I, I think he's cutting, cutting the best promos of his career. Just anytime he comes on screen, it makes me stop and pay attention in a similar way to how I feel about Kenny Omega on the other channel. Like, I just get the same vibe. Like, I'm just like, I'm like, this guy, what he's going to do now is important to watch. Um, but I'm obviously not going to convince you of that because you don't, <laughs> you have no interest in watching it. So you're, you, you're the perfect example of proving my point wrong and poking the holes in it. It's not, I'm not here saying I, he's the best wrestler in the world because he, he's, you know, any better in the ring than Okada or Charlotte Flair or whatever. I just find that when he's on the screen, I put my phone away. And that's, that's my, that's my best criteria for who's the best wrestler in the world in my eyes is who makes me put the phone down. And at the moment, it's Balor and Omega. They're the two for me. Is there any? any the, is the only other match the big one to talk about on on NXT? Cole O'Reilly. I want to talk about that finish. That was maybe the best finish of the weekend. I'm not sure about the uh, the whole match. Like it was maybe a bit lengthy for my personal taste. But I probably said that about most takeover main events. But the finish just felt like an absolute exclamation mark in the match. And I'd hope the feud, but I I have a feeling the feud's going on um, the way that they set up Cole on the stretch at the end. But I just thought that was great. That, that finish, like uh, admittedly there was the Cole dragging himself into the position, which I think I spoke to you, you you mentioned to me, which is a fair point, but I just really like the brutality of it. And uh, NXT usually managed to get these sort of finishes like with Cole Black. I remember that being really brutal in one of these sort of matches as well. So maybe it's just Adam Cole. It's just him and his wife or girlfriend. Is it Britt Baker? I think maybe just girlfriend. They're just uh, good at the violence. I, I I think that it's Cole's specialty, like that type of match. He did him. He did it with Gargano, didn't he? A few times. Um, he's he's done it. I, I'm sure he did it with, like you said, Black. I reckon he might have even done it with like Champer at some point. He he's just really good at those lengthy, like brutal kind of weapons matches. And what I like about them is the way they they almost seem to bring in one unique weapon in the match. So like my memory of the ones with Gargano was they took the ring mat away, didn't they? And and that was like that's what they brought in. Well, this one it was the chain, right? And then they kept doing everything with the chain. I think it really stood out for me that one unique weapon, which was kind of cool because I mean it it there's nothing worse than in a match like that than it's like they go over. It's like, well, there's too many options for weapons. You look under the ring and there's a shotgun there. Do you know? Like it's it's a lot. It, I like it when it's just sort of like one unique weapon. And that's why I always like a ladder match or, you know, something like that where it's like one focal point. Yeah. I, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I, I, I agree with you, Don, but I still think even with that said, I still think it was too weapony and too spotty for me. I think I think there's a, a weird thing with wrestling where they think intense, violent feud should be dealt with with like weapons, and I I I completely disagree. I think I think a few I, th- I think one of those violent matches would look more violent if you're just using your body against someone, but you're not using moves. You know, you you just like violently attacking each other, and I just think that I think they missed a trick with this match because. This one, funnily enough, I've got a bunch of criticisms about it, but it's probably my third favourite match of the week. 
I think, but it, which just shows how good both of them are. Um, but I think that that was an issue, and I agree with Connolly. I think again, if it's such a, I'm, I'm fine with kind of Cole and Gargano, where there was a, where obviously it, it got a personal feud, but it was also you know with with uh, mainly around I think Gargano's dad's pizza place, but it was still made, it, but it was still about rivalry about who's better. So I'm fine with those matches going really long. I I wanted this to be at least. 15 minute shot and I love long matches most of my favourite matches ever are long matches this match should have, actually should have been probably half, it should have been a violent 20 minute and, and then and I, and I think it would have meant a lot more and I think that finish, I think all of it if it was just going a mile a minute would have been would have been better and, and finally the, my other issue with this match is the fucking crowd can we get the pandemic back what <clears throat> Cheering for Adam Cole. And also, oh, fucking hell. No, cheering for Adam Cole is bad enough, <clears> right? Because he's against Kyler Riley. Kyler Riley. He's obviously, like, it's not like he's fighting Roman Reigns. He's this upcoming babyface. Fucking back him, you dickheads. And on top of that, both these guys' chance in, like, a heated blood feud where Cole's a monster. Like, they should be, like, those wrestling fans should not only be banned. They should be shot. I think if you, in a match, <laughs> chant, both these guys, you're the worst human being ever born. Oh. Yeah, they're actually fans. I thought. Yeah, I thought they were employees. I thought NXT were like employees. Like, yeah, they, actually, even worse. Yeah, even worse. They were probably fans. told to do then. They were probably yeah. told to who they should cheer for and what they should say. I didn't <laughs> think about that, bro. You're completely right. That's mental. <laughs> like, I, I can bad. assure you, there is nothing more nauseating than twelve WWE employees doing a forced this. Um, <laughs> this is awesome, chat. <laughs> And completely the wrong part of the match. Yeah. And the, do you know, like, I, I think, so um, I, I made a joke, you know, on the social media about, you know, the TV audiences begging for the Thunderdome era to come back with both these guys' chants. But, like, I think just one step, like, maybe 99 out of 100 or, you know, 1A, whatever you want to call it, is we want tables. Stop trying to book the fucking match yourself. Just let them tell the story. We want tables two minutes in. Shut the fuck. Get the fuck out of here. If they're going to do it, Dom, they should go one step further. We want competing arm drag spots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be really, really good if people started to, if you could get a group of people that actually ruin a show, like chanting things like, we want abdominal stretch. Like, it would be, yeah, that'd be really good. Really good. This has been a. Uh, I'm going to start for us as far as time frames go. But I did just want to talk about that camera shot of Io Shirai coming off the stage. I thought that was beautiful work. Also, um, <laughs> yeah. I can't believe to bring up Ross again. He's more over than when he's here. He's missed the uh, podcast talking about his girl Raquel getting the belt as well. He's been championing uh, since she uh, made her re-debut and he's not here to say how great she is. So, this yeah, is not like player. anyone. He seems like everyone's <laughs> <was favorite. laughs> That is a very fair point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, spot on there, yeah. But he's been, he's been particularly um, into her journey. I remember when she first debuted and there were maybe a few who is that. He was like, oh, I like her. And um, now it's all come. He was right. She's great. He, yeah, yeah. He, you know what? He was right and she is great. I, I was sceptical. I was like, oh, this is that, you know, she's just big and she looks as specimen but she's clearly very very talented and like being packaged perfectly by um nxt and whoever's running the show down there i guess it's uncle paul so yeah yeah great she like again i don't i I only i've only sort of seen i guess it's the first match of her team but she 
for me, I just was like, this is what Nia Jax should be. Like, she's <laughs> she's big, powerful, and she could actually wrestle. And like, like Tamina should be as well. But you know, she that match, pretty much all the matches. This is the first takeover I've seen like for a while. Um, and I like all the matches. I was planning on just watching like the first two matches and then sleeping, but I ended up watching both nights like all the way through. Um, so for me, I was just like, obviously wrestling wise, it was a lot better than than Mania um, because there was not really a bad match on the card. But then maybe that's because I've not seen NXT properly before. But I loved it. I really liked the um, is it Bronson Reed? Bronson Reed. Oh yeah, yeah. That match. I loved that match. Like that, I think one of one of my highlights of the week because it just. I don't know. It just was believable. The near falls um, and sort of the, the the action, the counters and stuff. Um, and the that Bronson Reed guy, he is like, he is the stuff he does off the top rope. A guy of that size, it's like um, what was his name? The not Walter, um, Keith Lee. When I first saw Keith Lee, I was like, damn, like this guy can move and like, like you know, he a match with like, I guess a match with Keith Lee and I don't know if you've ever wrestled Keith Lee and um, Bronson Reed. That would be an awesome match to see. I think. Yeah, I um, yeah. I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if they have actually when he's when he's Joan Rock or anything. I'm not. I mean, they may have done, but um, I, I can't remember. Can't remember it. But I'm, I, yeah, I'm with you, Ro. Actually, I was um, both. So both Bronson Reed matches, the the Gauntlet. Oh, yeah, and the I actually um, I, going into both of them, I wasn't really that interested in either. And by the end of it, I was like, shit, that was really good. Yeah, <laughs> like, really. yeah completely, completely dragged me in. That's 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 the benefit of a two night format where you can not. I'm not saying that Bronson Reed wasn't already over because he kind of was, but you get the chance to build him on night one and then have him go for the title on night two, and like it, it's really really good storytelling. And it's funny that WWE main roster they had the chance to do it over two nights and they chose to do it with Tamina. So you know, never seen anyone miss a tag, but hey, she did it. <laughs> <laughs> Ever seen anyone miss a tag, but yeah. Listen, Tommy Dreamer tweeted she is a top WWE babyface now after Mania. So Tommy Dreamer knows wrestling, guys. And he knows baby faces, that's for sure. Exactly. Tommy Dreamer is Tommy Dreamer still alive? <laughs> <laughs> really? No, genuinely. Tommy Dreamer died. He was championing her. He said she's over like Rover. Put the put the rocket on her. He Tommy and, and, and that is the reason why we don't have unprotected chair shots anymore. <laughs> Tom, Tommy Dreamer made a, he made a better than Impact pay-per-view about two months ago. Oh. He still, yeah, he wrestled for their world title, like to mark his, I guess it was like his 30th anniversary in the industry or something like that, maybe. Yeah, Tom, I'm sure you're probably keen to get onto uh, WrestleMania fairly sharpish due to the run time. <laughs> but there were a couple of things that stood out for me on the NXT card that I just wanted to quickly bring up. Yeah. I know that you uh, said about that Io Shirai dive. Um, that was one of the best spots I've seen in a long, long time. That was absolutely brutal. Um, a huge dive onto. And and what was different is it looked dangerous. You know, there was no padding. She dove, dove straight onto a grate. Um, we don't even have the old Hell in a Cell anymore. We've got padding all around the ring because that's deemed too dangerous. And she's diving off of some massive structure onto onto nothing, and I thought that was brilliant. Um, absolutely crazy spot, brilliant. Um, yeah. Which really added to the match. Uh, obviously, you've che- you guys have said about uh, what's her name, Gonzalez. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's the name, Gonzalez? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw when she won the title when she was walking up the ramp. They sprayed her down with antiperspirant. 
in a scene which was reminiscent of uh, plenty of pee sessions that I had when I was a teenager. But it was it was a very odd choice. She didn't get pyro, just all this white powder sprayed towards her armpits, which I'm not sure that got her over, but it popped me, so that was an enjoyable part of the card. Um, and I know that uh, Brum obviously said about storytelling during matches. As I say, I don't really follow NXT. The last time I saw Champa, he he just looked about 30 years older than when he held the belt. Like, he's been growing his hair. He's just generally looked pretty past it, to be honest. And when turning up for this match with Walter, it's like he ditched the whole old man Logan sort of story thing he had going on and was back to prime Champa. He'd, he looked like he lost 20 years easily. Um, and he wrestled as if he was trying to prove that. Like he was just had so much gas in the tank. I know that Connolly's mentioned that spot where he went for about fifteen clotheslines in a row. That to me, that was brilliant. Loved it, absolutely loved it. And that was probably the match of the week for me. I think Walter Champer. Um, I don't really know where either of them go from here. There's there's kind of a ceiling on Walter in the sense that he can have these brilliant matches, but as soon as we release him onto a main roster, you know he's going to get lost. He's going to lose that aura. He's going to lose that little something about him that makes him special. And I don't really want that to happen. You know, he's great as a special attraction in NXT UK and, you know, NXT proper. Um, but I'm not really sure where he goes from here. Yeah, I, I, I like to... I like the idea of him sticking around from a selfish perspective as well. So we can still see him a lot and he can still be our guy, you know, coming on this UK scene. But I I actually think that um, uh, more and more I've been saying that WWE is, I'm sure they are already, but they must be paying Gargano and Champa and Balor and stuff like this the same amount as the main roster guy. Like, there must, it must now be appealing for some of these people to stick around in NXT and NXT UK um, for, this, for these top-level guys, surely. I don't know anything about the money, and maybe some people know more than me and they're yelling at their computers listening to this right now. But, like, they, I'm sure that the way that WWE are doing things, they, they know they must be making it, like, appealing to stick around in NXT. And I know for Walter, like it's been pretty widely publicized that he doesn't want to move to the States. So I think that it's likely that he will be looked after. He, he, he could stay the special attraction and he could still be our lad. I hope. I, th- I think mainly just because WWE want, want, want him to go anywhere else. Yeah. He'll like, and it, you know, maybe they'll do NXT Germany one day and he'll be the, you know, he'll be the coach or whatever. Like, he'll be the, he'll run it probably. He'll be the regal. Not not now. He's only a young man, but you know what I mean? Like, in 20 years' time or whatever, he might be regal in Germany. <clears throat> um, Is he undefeated, Walter? Like, he's he's undefeated in singles matches, I think. He, he's, his only loss has been in tags. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, because that's what they, I, I was, I've actually got a, the one thing I've got written down to talk about and I forgot was I laughed a few times at the intangibles that they put up on the screen when they were doing like the tail of the tape and Walter's intangible was unbeatable. <laughs> that's not an intangible. That's a spoiler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just thought before we before we go on to to mania, as we've got as we've got Shafi on, would it be rude not to talk about AEW? 
Yeah, I was definitely going to ask Shafi about his AEW thoughts because he's our resident expert. So, um, did you, you watch it this week, Chef? Yeah, I watched it. Um, watch it every week. Um, as you all know, it's the only wrestling show I've regularly watched in probably 10 years. So it's really brought me back into wrestling. Love it. Um, to be honest, there's been so much wrestling this week. I can't actually remember that much about the show. One thing that does stand out, though, is that Chris Jericho dropped an absolutely fire promo. It was so good, honestly. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth seeking out. Um, because he just came with so much intensity that you don't normally see from Jericho. And he just, it was almost word perfect. Apart from one minor, one minor slip where he suggested that Wardlow had a very cheap body and a very expensive mind... Uh, which I think was probably slightly mixed up. It was just, it, it's worth My, seeking out. It's just two, three, four minutes of brilliance. It was best, so good. The, for me, the best part of that promo was Jericho. He goes, um, Dax and Cash, or is it Axe and Smash, or is it Axel and Slash? But that was, that was fucking great. I, that popped me. Yeah. I thought that was really, really, really clever. Yeah. Like he he did throw in you know a few quips like that, but he maintained them in, uh, the intensity and still got over the feud, which yeah people people weren't laughing like it was exactly. like oh that's it's, yeah it's cool but not funny like yeah and this word Bromit says he's not funny but um, yeah it was it, yeah I agree Shaft that was really cool. What about the 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 young bucks at the end? What what a, do we have any edit that stand out to anyone? Oh no, Rose gone. Oh. Oh, no, he's back. Oh, no, he's back. He's all right. He's all right. We're good. Wait, and so I didn't watch, but are the Young Bucks heels now or not? Well, it's, is, that, is, that, is that confirmed? Like, they just didn't want to... So, like, they're in a match and they had the opportunity. It's actually kind of cool. They had the chance to finish off Kenny Omega a couple of times and wouldn't do it. Like, they wouldn't hit him with their, their super kicks and they wouldn't hit him with the knees. Um, and they, and like, it actually told a pretty good story. They, they were like, instead they were using their old moves, like more bang for your buck and stuff like that. Things that are wrestling moves rather than strikes. And then eventually Ambrose uh, Moxley gets in the ring and he's like, come on, you pricks, like just finish him off. Let's hit the knee. And Ambrose hits him with a couple of those, um, DDTs, the double underhook DDTs. And then the Young Bucks eventually are like, oh, man, and then they, they have to sort of stop Moxley by beating him up. And then the, it's almost like they're there at the end. And it's like, oh, we didn't really want to be here with Kenny and be in heels, but we are. You know, it was actually, it wasn't like a premeditated heel turn. It was like a, it was their circumstances, right? But then after that, then after the bell, they super kicked Moxley again and hooked Kenny Omega. And I know that we're in the, the days of like, like, you know, the and baby faces are kind of Vince McMahon, but I think if you super kick like a the top baby face in the company when he's like isolated and then hug the top heel in the company, that's a, probably a heel turn. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying that I like the way they did it. I mean they, they could I mean they could have maybe set fire to a granny afterwards, but apart from that, <laughs> I, don't they, I don't think there's shades of grey there. I think the books are are heels. But, but I agree, Dom, it was the, the only the only my only issue with it, and Shaffy's probably gonna roast me over the coals for it, I just think like this whole fucking elite melodrama shit has been going on for quite a while. And I think I, the books are obviously, you know, spoiler alert, a fucking wonderful tag team. 
who have incredible matches and a way better in-ring psychologist than a lot of the old school wrestlers give them credit for. They're fucking great. But I just think this whole kind of, are they good, are they bad with the books, has just dragged on too much where you just don't really have that much investment in them. And it's fine. So I think where it's going to go is probably going to be a good place eventually because when Paige gets back in as the face or whatever. But this whole dynamic, it's just it's dragged a bit. And I just didn't, it didn't really do anything for me that turn and when, when it should have done because, you know, I'm, I'm invested in, in every guy in the ring in a in principle, but the storyline's almost taken me away from that. I, d- I don't know if that's unfair. Uh, I don't think that's unfair. Um, I think their booking has been pretty muddled. We obviously had this storyline before, didn't we, with uh, Kenny and Hangman when they had the belts, and we had this internal conflict uh, through the Elite, and that obviously ended in a fantastic match. But since then, I think in terms of storyline, they've been floundering. Um, the FTR storyline really did not get off the ground. Like the match again was absolutely fantastic, but the storyline wasn't very good. Um, and since winning the belts, again they've just they haven't been particularly compelling. But in the ring, very good. Um, so I don't think they're really they've been that interesting. I think probably the best thing they've had to do recently was their feud with MJF and Jericho. Because they were able to play, okay, we are clearly the faces in this scenario. You know, you've beaten up our father, etc. You've taken things too far. You've crossed the line. And they've been able to play a very clearly defined role um, where there's been no ambiguity. But now we're back again to, you know, as I say, as you guys have said, I did really enjoy the way that they did it. They did it in a way that kind of made sense. Um, but where do you go from here with the Bucks? in terms of storyline. Um, are we going to have to... The main, the main thing that I want is for the books to stay around and be Kenny's henchmen and the Good Brothers to fuck off. Like, yeah. I'm sure they're yeah. both fun guys, but... <clears throat> and, and I liked Kyle Anderson's um, G1 run many a year ago as much as the next man, but fuck me, they're boring, aren't they now? Both in the ring and out of it. Just I don't, I don't know if anyone's <laughs> going to say otherwise, but God, I just cannot be asked watching them anymore in any company. Completely. Great theme. <laughs> Great theme. And don't get me wrong, like, fuck, I would love to get pissed with the with the Good Brothers, but I just, they, they just stand out when, they, when they're doing that. They don't, it, they don't quite fit into the picture for me when you've got the other three who are just the best wrestlers getting them out, you know? But anyway. <clears throat> Um, we should probably, it's WrestleMania week and we've got two nights of it and we're already, what, 45 minutes in here, lads. So we should probably think about a bit of WrestleMania. Uh, WrestleMania two nights, uh, major talking points were new champions galore, Rhea Ripley, um, Bianca Belair main eventing, um, night one. Then we had Lashley retained. Um, what else happened? Roman retained. So that's kind of interesting. Uh yeah, have at it, Logan Paul. Right, that's the that's the main takeaway for most of us. No, <laughs> <laughs> the fiend. That still not over it. Rose, start us off, mate. So I know you've been itching to talk about the fiend. Like what? So you you were pretty annoyed about it, right? Yeah. So I I I mean I love sort of like a spooky gimmick. Um, everyone knows Taker's my favorite sort of like character wrestler, and so like when the fiend 
like debuted that their gimmick on SummerSlam. I loved it. I love sort of like the look, um, the music, the intro, everything about it. And I just think slowly and slowly, the WWE just fucked over it because they just had him, they had him strong sort of like in the first few matches and stuff. And then slowly he just started losing and losing. And then he lost to Gold Turd. He lost to um, lost that Hell in a Cell match. Um, well, he didn't lose. No, he did lose. He did lose that Hell in a Cell match. Well, it ended in a... Um, a double counter or a disqualification with Seth. Yeah, D- D- um, DQ, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, a DQ and a Hell in a Cell match. But yeah, slowly they just lost. The, and I thought, you know what, this this will be sort of like his redemption. He came back as crispy and crisp and dry um, fiend when he was sort of burnt alive. And I just thought they're going to, they're building to have him redeem all of the Bray Wyatt's losses at WrestleMania. So obviously the uh, Wyatt lost to Cena at many 30 and then, Last year's he beat him in that five five fun house, and then I thought they would do. I thought maybe they'd do something with Taker at some point. Maybe sort of like if Taker was good to go again, the Fiend versus Undertaker would be a, a big match, and he'd beat the Undertaker. And then he the whole at Mania thirty three it was Orton versus Bray, and that masterpiece masterclass match. Um, <laughs> he, he lost it with one RKO in that, and I thought this would be sort of his redemption where he just. You know, the match might not be good, but he'll just, you know, just literally kill Orton. Um, but no, they literally just shout all over it. And like, you know, I, I watched highlights of Raw and I was like, oh, maybe they've got a follow-up. But it was just, it was a copper. It was literally just, I don't know if you've seen more, but it was just um, Alexa Bliss saying, oh, I don't need him anymore. I've got my own powers. So that that was the explanation. And then Orton just moved on to a, a triple threat match for determining the number one contender. So it was just, you know, it was just, a dud. I just thought I thought they could have done, especially with the intro that the entrance the Fiend had, um, really cool and that stuff. Um, so where, yeah, where he um he went he went through the weekend Super Bowl tunnel. Yeah, he life. did. Yeah, weekends and yeah. then yeah, and then isn't burnt anymore. Um, and then had Jack in the boxing. But, well, yeah. he walked through that little bit of after sun mist. I think. Weird, <laughs> <laughs> isn't it that they spent all this time building up uh, Bray Wyatt slash the Fiend? Just so they could build up a heel female to to get over Tamina later in the year. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I, I think maybe WWE and I, this is a sort of I'm formulating these ideas now. I haven't thought about it too much, but I think maybe WWE have decided that like they the the money in Bray Wyatt Wyatt is going to be with storytelling outside of the ring. Like they just stay. That it's clear that the matches themselves that he's in, they, they've sort of realised that they've painted themselves into a wall, in, into a corner, good mixing metaphors, and, like, they're like, well, we, we just won't really have him wrestle. We'll just tell these stories with the fun house and the magical powers and the burning and the reincarnation and all this instead of actually having matches. And I think this was, like, a sign of that. It's like, well, the matches don't matter because it's just... You know, let's turn the lights to red and then have Randy Orton just beat him with an RKO. It just sort of shows like, well, that's not what we that's not how we want to tell stories with this character. We are, we want to tell stories on TV with him backstage in his funhouse, you know? And I think and that's what they've gone back to on Raw, like you said, Ro. It was just normal Bray Wyatt in the yeah, Maroon Jumper. Yeah, and he's just and he's saying to the puppets, he's like, Oh, she's gone, guys, let's get back to fun. It was like it was really weird. It was almost like they yeah, I don't know. Now um, they've created another spooky bollocks character, though, so that's a, yeah, that's so, a yeah. positive. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. They've, yeah, they did the Alexa Bliss playground thing as well, so they've now they've got two. So I guess it's yeah. just more content for all. But um, I don't know where it goes from here. But yeah, I just thought they were building 
to like just having the fiends redeem his losses. And I was just like, it was just really shocking um, that he just lost to one. I mean, the man ate 30 curb stops at one point and one okay put him away. I say the yeah. man, he's not a man, is he? Um, yeah. He's yeah. been burned alive. I mean, well, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's literally been but no, burned. I do agree. I do agree that like you can definitely pick holes with the storytelling and whether the match was particularly great or not is probably up for debate. Yeah, as well. I mean, but... it's the thing. Taker's matches, the first few matches, up until what, I guess, Orton at 21, like his street matches weren't weren't really all that, but they were just, you know, his character and stuff. And then they started getting good. But, you know, I mean, the theme, uh, Bray Wyatt as a wrestler, he can go. Like he's had some decent matches. He had a good match with Daniel Bryan, I think at a Royal Rumble. So, you know, he can go. But I guess, you know, it is more about the character. And even the character now, they've just ruined because he's just losing to everyone. So I don't know. I don't know where to go from here. So Yeah. And, and the, the worst part about it is I'm not even that interested to see. No. Well, this is it. And I'm not either. I would have been um, had he sort of like had a, a big win uh, just to see where it goes from here. But like, you know, and I don't want him going after titles because The Fiend as a character shouldn't have titles. It was a mistake. Am I the only one who likes The Fiend here then? Oh, I thought it was all right. <laughs> I quite liked it. I know it didn't make any sense, and it was absolute fucking crap, really. But I, I had a whale of a time with the the Jack in the Box and the weird pen leaking over her head and everything. Was I know, right? this, as a spectacle, it was fine. It was just the result was, was wrong. Yeah, I think you say about you say about that. I think. It was very interesting. They kind of did it on night one as well. But that moment where Alexa was on top of the box and all of that black stuff starts oozing over was an incredible... That was a WrestleMania moment. That was incredible. And the whole whole crowd were, you know, on tender hooks at that point. You had a holy shit chant for for that. And then just all of the excitement went out of the crowd about five seconds later. Yeah. Yeah, you hear um, they will start booing because it just they weren't expecting that, and it's just that constant, constant build. Because this isn't going since uh, TLC or before, and then all of that build up just to a loss. And I read somewhere like it was he was actually supposed to win. Um, it was last yeah. minute decision by Vince and um, is it Bruce Bruce Pritchard just to sort of like for some un- un- unknown reason just you know change the result right at the last minute. So. Yeah, I, I've um, I actually have got some inside knowledge on this, and I probably shouldn't release it on the pod, but it's fine. Apparently, the reason is because Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard are both fucking cunts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anywhere near wrestling, just fucking cunts. Like, yeah. Sorry. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a uh, that's probably probably going to be all over the dirt sheets tomorrow. That leaked bit of knowledge, but there you go. To be fair, it could be Vince is just, you know, a bit pissed off because, you know, Vince does look a lot pretty much like the ventriloquist dummy that, uh, that Bray Wyatt had of Vince in the Firefly, Firefly Funhouse last year. So he's probably just a bit pissed off at that thing. He's just, Vince has just seen the takes the night yeah, before. Just, yeah. He was like, this is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, just, could you just like, just could you imagine, right? Like, just writing something like WrestleMania is the biggest like event of the year, and just could you imagine it in any other medium? Just like Stanley Kubrick rocking up, like just as they're about to shoot like the final scene of The Shining. Go, oh, actually, uh, oh. I've changed the mind here. Randy Orton's got a RKO Jack Nicholson. What? But it doesn't doesn't make thematic sense to anything that's going on, and it's going to just completely take the crowd out of it. Well, you know. I was chatting to Bruce. And- we haven't seen the Schneider Cup, Brum. That happens in that. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, you know what's funny though, Brum? Like, I think 
The Shining is actually, this has nothing to do with wrestling, but isn't The Shining famously the film does finish differently to the book? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, from WrestleMania moments, can we segue into uh, Banks Bel Air, which I thought was great? Um, if we're talking moments, like the beginning of the match with the, I mean, I'm not usually one for mutual respect, but uh, I thought it was very apt for the specific moment that they were trying to sort of convey. And uh, I just thought the match was great. And again, the, the hair whip is going to be replayed about 100 million times in the next year. And was it, that it real just sound? Was, did, did they pump a whip sound over that? Because that sounded... I mean, if it was real, that would... I just think the ring's really heavily mined, so it sounds Jeez. like an explosion. But I could be being super naive there. But I, I do know. just... The, the ring's so mined. Yeah. Yo, I, 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 I said here, we, we were watching live, and I said, oh, geez, is that... Surely her hair hasn't actually made that mark on her ribs like that. And Ross and Mike yelled at me. They're like, oh, right, oh, no, it's meant, it is real. And they're like, hey, why are you such a sceptic? I was like, oh, okay. I, just, I think she has made a mark on people before with her hair. I'm not sure if it quite made the explosive noise, but um, yeah, I just, it was just great. It, it really was the old fashioned happy mania main event ending. Like it, I think it was a big part of why generally night one was seen so well. That main event played a massive part in that, in my opinion, just a good match. Uh, what did it go? Like it, no match on night one went longer than 18 minutes. So I'm not sure if that was the longest match or not. But, um, I mean, did, or it felt like it did. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was like the perfect way to end night. Maybe night two, it would have been done just as well. I, I thought it was great. Well, it was just a great ending. Well, whilst, whilst we're talking about it, so I've, I've got a, a couple of questions, not points, but so firstly, I think it's interesting maybe like the storm at the start of WrestleMania, although it was like a strange thing. I think it just really made the show better because it shortened the matches and also it gave us that brilliant impromptu promo stuff at the beginning, yeah. which I, which really stood out to me as being cool. But I, I know that leading into Mania, um, like a, a few of us in our group were having a discussion about the, the sort of the layout of the show and where the matches were placed and whether the women should have main evented. Um, and I guess I just wanted to ask you guys if, like, in, in hindsight, now that we saw that Drew lost and Bianca won um are, are we happy with the way they laid that out with Drew opening and Bianca going on last or are we still thinking that Drew deserved to main event so I think I was probably the most outspoken about Drew's place on the card um having sort of been front and center in the company for the last year or so uh probably during one of the most difficult times that any of us have ever seen particularly for wrestling that relies so heavily on fans um, so yeah, I definitely 100% thought that he deserved the main event of WrestleMania. I didn't expect him to main event over, you know, Brian, Roman and Edge, because let's be honest, that is a bigger match, but I thought that he deserved the main event spot. Um, more so than the women, to be honest. However, based on the way, based on your question, it would have been really bad if he main evented and they put Lashley over the way that they did. Um, yeah. Especially because they they kind of did that on both nights, didn't they? With the heel retaining the belt, that will, yeah. it was a very odd decision to put that on first. The first match with fans for thirteen months and a day, or or whatever they said it was, um, to finally get fans back in, to get Drew in, to finally be able to cheer him, and to have him lose clean, was an odd decision. Um, but I think 
thank God that didn't main event night one because that may have clouded people's judgment on what I thought was a very, very good night of wrestling. Very enjoyable. Um, so yeah, I think the girls going on last ultimately was a good decision. We got that feel-good moment that we were robbed of on night two. Um, and they, they put on what I thought was a very memorable match with some brilliant spots. Um, so no issues whatsoever with the way that they got to where they ended up. Completely agree 100%. With, with all those ideas. And in terms of like naysayers being, being won over, um, I'm not, you know, I don't, um, I've said on here before, I don't, don't watch the main re- main roster, I watch Rumble and Mania and that that's it really. I, I keep tabs using the interweb, but but that, that's about it. And as, I've, as I went on a rant a few weeks ago about WWE production style, I just I just don't really enjoy any of their matches. So, you know, spoiler alert, I might mention it a bit later, but I, I won't, I, I didn't enjoy any, I didn't really enjoy any match at, at Mania. Um, but I could uh, I could really appreciate. I mean, Bianca Belair watched on NXT. She's obviously very talented, um, like especially for how how little she's been in the business. But considering how inexperienced she is, the match that Sasha led her to, I think, just shows. Even though it, you know it wasn't I, for me, I, I wasn't. I wouldn't say I enjoyed it like it as a, as a match. I think I could appreciate the job Sasha did. I thought it was incredible to get that kind of coherent main event out of someone who is so so inexperienced. I think it's an incredible job. No, I agree. And I think I actually made some notes. I was like, it looks as if Sasha genuinely wants Bianca to win. Like she she's like happy and like even their start when uh, Belair was sort of like got emotional and started crying. You could see Sasha being like, all right, don't break broke it. She was trying to hold back her tears to stay in character. Um and like it, it she did a lot for her in that match and, and it was a phenomenal match. Really good way to end night one um so i'm happy it main evented but it's just yes it's just cool how sasha genuinely was like wanting to put her over and i think there's a shot afterwards where i think it, it didn't it didn't get aired and stuff but i think it was just when the camera sort of went off or when the um the main camera stopped you could see um sasha sort of looking up at sort of bel-air like with like pride and sort of like with tears in her eyes so um it was just cool how how she put her over um in a really sort of really really good match um and speaking of uh pros leading through leading rookies to a decent match how about that bad bunny eh? oh that i mean that was about as good as it could be that was yeah, yeah. i don't i don't know what bad bunny was before then like i didn't know anything but like yeah very i think i was just watching it and i was just like this guy has he been wrestling for a long time because some of the stuff he was doing like you get celebrities who come in and like you know they they just they hold their punches they pull their punches but he was just going for it and you know it was a lot better the whole match I think for everyone I think was it was a lot sort of better than than anyone expected. But not, like and let's not let's sorry but let let's not forget that his tag team partner isn't exactly Shawn Michaels either you know like yeah. he's like Damian Priest is only fairly young to the industry yeah. like he he kind of had one year in Ring of Honor before he went to NXT and he had one year at NXT and now he's in. Well, I guess some people say the semi-main event of WrestleMania, you know. Like, so, like, great job all round, you know. Like that. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I hope I hope that the Miz and Morrison get a big slice of that bonus money. Oh yeah, they helped. Yeah, they they put. But it's it's true. Like all, I think all pretty much all them celebrity matches at Mania, you've got sort of the main the main sort of star. He builds it up, and then you, it leads up to like a hot tag. For this celeb to come in, do some moves, and then that, that's it. But it was the other way around where Bad Bunny started the match, 
and it was leading up to the hot tag to Damien Priest, which was really weird because, and I think match time wise, Bad Bunny probably spent more time in the match actually on the off it, on the offense than um, than uh, what's his name, Damien Priest. But then I guess that's because he's, he's injured. I think Damien Priest is injured, or he's got some minor injury, so it might be because of that they did that. But yeah, no. Very impressive. The entrance, I love Bad Bunny's entrance as well. I, I thought for some for some reason I thought Becky was driving that truck because it was her truck from last year or the year before. It looked like her truck. If we're speaking entrances, Rhea Ripley getting the full band in, and like I'm not going to say that vocal sounded amazing, but as a whole package, Rhea Ripley came out of that weekend looking like a star. When you consider last year, she went into Mania and like did the job for Charlotte in probably the best match Mania last year. I love this year's match with Ascar. Again, is it a match I'll go back and watch? Maybe. I thought it was really good. But they, the whole thing was set to make Rhea Ripley an absolute star. And I think they achieved that again. Like, she looked great. Her look, the music, the whole packaging of her. Plus the fact she can back it up in the ring. Oh, man. I love that. Shafi mentioned the amazing dive from um, Io Shirai on TakeOver. My, pr- probably my favourite spot of the weekend other than Drew hitting his dick on the top rope on the flip was, um, was the DDT off the apron. Um, that would, I thought that was just incredible. I don't remember seeing anyone do that before. And I was just like, fuck, that was amazing. The rear yeah. and Asuka with the DDT off the it apron. Rough, man. It was great. Yeah. I mean, and like, but she didn't like, like, oftentimes you see stuff and like, it's like, Oh, they clearly sort of bowed out of that at the end. Not Rita's went head first. <laughs> yeah. like, just, yeah. Her ceiling's so high, man. Like, she's just so good. <laughs> so yeah. is B- Bianca Belair is too. Like, they're both just like, you can see when they were the last two in the Rumble and they've paid it off now with them both winning those belts. And like, oh, yeah. They can, yeah, they're, 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 that. they're just both great. They've, and they're both big as well. Like, they've got the look to go with their like in ring acumen yeah. and everything. I'm just massive fans of both of them. I'm so glad that they both got their belts. And you, and then on NXT you add um, Gonzalez in as well. Yeah. The three, the three of them, you know, three back new... in some big broads. Yeah, yeah. Chef, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm wary that I'm I don't want to be stepping on your toes. Did you have any like like takeaways, major takeaways that you wanted to bring to the table? I think night one was for me the more enjoyable night, which was interesting because I think beforehand on paper night two looked a lot stronger, uh, but night one. I don't know if it was because of the storm and the delay and it built that sort of anticipation and we got that brilliant promo from Drew. Um, but I, I just thought night one was a very, very enjoyable night of wrestling. Um, every match was, was good to great. The, the only match which wasn't you know great was obviously the tag turmoil, tag turmoil match. Um, but that had its moments, you know, obviously, you know, that's going to be memed forever, isn't it? Uh, Mandy Rose falling on her ass. Yeah, you know she's now the female Titus. Um, so yeah, night one I thought was fantastic. Uh, the only another we're talking about building to hot tags. The tag matches were a bit skewiff on night one because they did the same thing in the New Day match, where they had them building to the hot tag for the heel team, which was really weird. Yeah. Uh, New Day were obviously the faces, the champions, and they had AJ selling for the whole match, building. Your sympathy for a tag to um, what's his name? Um, which was really odd. Um, but wow, that guy is huge. 
He must be like he must be bigger than like the tallest wrestler, as in like for WWE. He, he looks a lot taller than Kali and and uh, Andre the Giant and Big Show. Like he he like they all look tall, but he looks ridiculously tall. Giant Gonzalez, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think Gonzalez would probably pip it. Yeah, maybe but, uh, maybe Gonzalez legit seven four, almost legit seven three, something like that. But yeah, he's, he's a massive. big dude. I mean, which is just fucking massive, isn't it? He is absolutely huge. <laughs> one yeah. um, one final thing I'll say because I spoke a bit, but um, if you'd have told me we were going to talk for half an hour about Mania beforehand and not once mentioned Cesaro v Seth or Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Like both matches obviously delivered, especially Cesaro said, but the fact that they've not even come up first shows I think how good Mania was, right? Yeah. I I I've got nothing to say outside of they were just two great matches and I really enjoyed I enjoyed I enjoyed the pacing of the Owens Zane. They obviously were like, You're right, we're just gonna go balls to the wall and sprint it. Um, but obviously my, like, I was saving this for like my final point of WrestleMania, but he hit the fucking UFO. He hit the UFO in front of a crowd and I was running around the room. I took my top off. Like I just scored the winner in the champions league final. Like, <laughs> I just, I, I just loved that so much. And I, I just, I hope that maybe there's someone who hadn't seen that before. And was, I'm sure there's lots of people. There's probably thousands of people. I seen it before. So yeah. I was like, yeah. All I my think. friends. What was the reaction like from your friends? What were they like? Holy shit! What a great move! Like wh- wh- yeah, that's what I hope. Yeah, they were just like, why does he not do it all the time? Yeah, it's mate. It's like, just considering the, I, I still love it. from his old. Hmm. And they and they and they said it too. Like the, the commentary, I think they said he calls this the UFO, the unidentified flying opponent. But like, actually, they like got it. They they told the story of it as well, which I loved. Yeah. Anyway, so that was probably you know that's sort of. My main takeaway of Mania, actually, that he, he hit the move. And I was just so happy. It made my whole weekend. That and Drew hitting his dick on the top rope. <laughs> see, when did that happen? I, I didn't see that. The Drew thing? Yeah. Oh, bro, you've got to... Oh, I'll, mate, I'll, I'll send it to you. This is terrible podcasting. but So like, he goes to do the flip over the top. And on his way through, he clears it completely. Except he clearly just, like, smashes his dick on the rope. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, and but like the funniest, the reason it's so funny is because like a couple of the divas like tweeted it out, like damn. <laughs> like, I think like not, yeah, like Nia Jackson stuff like tweeted it, like, oh, all right, Drew, yeah, a bit of rope on rope action. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah, boss hog. I have to have a look at that. I'm, I'm usually good at finding these sort of uh, <coughs> leaks. <gifts. laughs> I've got. I'm looking. I actually made notes weirdly when I was watching Mania just for this, and like I just. Some of the stuff I don't know. One of the first things I've put is Hogan cunt. Oh, no, the, but pre-show-wise, and I know I'm segueing here, did you see when Sonia Deville was on the pre-show with everyone and she went, no one on this table knows what a Nigerian drum fight is going to be like. And Booker oh. T looked at her and went, do I look like chopped liver? <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was great. Booker T was, I think Shappy mentioned in the group, Booker T was trying to get JBL and Lawler. He was. He was egging him on. He was. He so was. Much. And then they stopped. They were like, oh, we better say, we stop before we say something that, you know, the internet reacts to or something. You could see it. <laughs> he was. Even, but even just like, not to get like super woke or whatever, because it was funny. And Booker T just laughing the whole time is just shithousery. But like, it, even the fact that JBL's like, oh, 
oh, we don't want to say something that the internet's going to cancel us for. Instead, of, what about we don't want to say something that's racist? Like you, like don't just don't be racist. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I, I think they just about got away with it, but it could have been bad. Yeah. So when we're speaking about racial insensitivity towards the uh, Nigerian drum match, <laughs> so do you just want to talk us through the how gongs and kendo sticks are traditionally Nigerian? <laughs> I well. I, I like they genuinely that it's like uh and the like kendo oh yes the ancient art of Japanese Nigerian stick fighting I think I uh, yeah just come on lads let's and and like why I think like the joke I made as well is like the drums had nothing to do with it either like yeah. it was neither Nigerian nor about drums like I just don't uh, yeah but anyway um. We haven't even talked about the main event. That was awesome, the triple threat. Yeah, well, I'll tell yeah. you, I'll tell you oh, a brilliant fit, perfect ending. Like, that's literally how it should have ended. Literally, Roman just tag teaming them, double double pinning them. Like, that just made it look legit. And now, Roman, he, they should, he shouldn't be beaten for, I don't know, if they're going to do the match with The Rock until then, I guess. And and now I'm going to be quiet for six people to rip Rose theories apart. Well, shall I just get my negativity out of the way, and you guys can all love, love mate, the the match? Because, and I just want to caveat this: like, I'm not like me trashing this is a bit like a bit unfair. I don't like to because like people people like all those superhero films, don't they? Like the Marvel films or whatever. They're not really for me, but I, you know, I know that they're critically acclaimed and they're, and they're very popular, so that's fine. And I think WWE main roster is a bit like that. So just because I I like something different. I'm not going to go too too harsh on it. But with that said, there were things in the main event which bugged me a lot. Um, I think they tried to tell too many stories at once. I think they were trying to tell the story of the downfall of Edge. They were trying to tell the Daniel Bryan underdog story and they were trying to show super dominant tribal chief Roman. And I think and I think it all got lost in the shuffle. It didn't help that Edge, who's kind of, as wrestlers go, not a bad in-ring actor, his horrible Ricky Gervais, Derek-style girding to get over the fact that he was going mad, I thought was just some of the worst wrestling acting I've seen in a long time, and that's saying something. And and the Jay Uso interference, I thought, complete was needless, took stuff out of the match, didn't add anything... Um, I don't know what the road agent was doing like there. I think that was just all over the all over the place. Um, and oh my god, like Lance Storm actually mentioned it. Like I obviously went at my rant about camera cuts a, a couple of months ago. Lance Storm actually said on Twitter that he had to turn off the main event because it was that egregious. And I thought it was fucking horrendous. Like that th- that was like one of the best things. My mate, who's not a um, who's like. I'd never really noticed the cuts thing before until he heard the podcast. He messaged me just saying like how how much he'd, he'd noticed it in that match. Um, and finally, sorry, I'm just getting out all my all my issues before, so you guys can can tell me I'm a dickhead and say about the positive things. Um, the match was a draw. Roman, <laughs> Roman Reigns didn't win that match. Like basically, it's a single form match, is a triple threat match, and because. Uh, Brian's and Edge's shoulders were both down at the same time. That fall was a draw. So, because if it, if it was a, an elimination match, it'd probably been a double elimination at the same time, and Roman would have won. But because it was a triple threat match, uh, 
wrestling precedent has said that a, a two a two sets of a double pinfall, as that call would have been called, would be a draw. So the match should have either restarted or it should have ended as a draw, which probably wasn't ideal for a Mania main event. But that was just my two penneth. Rom, you're wrong on everything. And I will tell you why. I will tell you why, my friend. Go for it, Carl. Firstly, firstly uh, I don't know what time that main event went on UK time, but I didn't notice the camera cuts, but I reckon they're what kept me awake. Because it was a lot, even though it wasn't a super long night, like a, those manias of the last few years, maybe that was what kept me awake because it was a late one. Secondly, I thought the story was great. It's like they're all desperate to win. They're all doing what they can. And this Roman character shouldn't be cool because look at him. He's fucking cool. But the fact he has to use Jay, he has to rely on that. He tapped out in the match. Like, it, it's great. And then he has this controversial finish, which I don't know why anyone's surprised about because the refs are all useless anyway. Like, <laughs> it was great. Oh, they all told their story so fantastically. It didn't go so long that it was, like, overindulgent either. Like, I think other companies' main events may do. And, like, the, oh, you've got a guy who is known for, like, having to retire through neck and head injuries headbutting a man square yeah. in the face to try and win this title, hitting a flying headbutt the top rope. Now, I'm not saying it made me feel comfortable, but it made me realise how fucking important this match was, that he was willing to go that far in the match. I I have the opposite opinion, although I respect yours, Brum. I thought it was great. You, you, you've, you've stole me back a bit, Conman, but I'll put another thing for your cameras. Here's new WWE production, Pet Hate, and I'll try to do this in less than six hours. I'll try and do it in less than 20 seconds. In a multi-man match, particularly a triple threat match, like where they zoom in loads on the action to to so they can bring in the third party and you don't notice them either break up the pinfall or do a surprise attack. Oh my god, that is fucking horrid. Because not only does it like telegraph what's gonna happen anyway, but it just throws you out the action again. Ah anyway, I I'm 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 done. So I do actually agree with Brom around the production. Um I hate it. I genuinely hate. I think I listened to, I think it was maybe episode five of this podcast where Brom went on a three hour rant about the production. And I just, I almost needed neck surgery from the amount that I was nodding my head in approval of everything that he said. Um, Yeah, I really don't like it. They do shoot too close. The shaky cam stuff is really annoying. Um, And it actually achieves the opposite of what they want to achieve. Um, it lessens every impact. It lessens every surprise or uh, by blindsiding you, and it does take you out of things. Uh, back onto the match itself. The match was really good. I think it was probably the match of Mania, um, and there were some good matches. Um, the Roman character is great as well. The, just the one thing, I didn't, yeah, I wasn't big on the finish. Um, I thought they just had a, we haven't had fans for so long. And I know that I've already said that, but it's really important. We haven't had fans for so long. Um, the first match of Mania, obviously the fans were behind Drew and he lost. We've got the final match of the final day of Mania. We're going back to no fans again now. Now we're back in the Thunderdome or the new Thunderdome or whatever it is. We're not going to have fans till maybe, I don't know, TLC, SummerSlam, something like that. <laughs> Yeah, money, um, money, money in the bank. I think was the yeah. yeah. So we haven't had that, you know, proper mania finish for two years. We're not going to have fans for maybe another five, four, five, six months. 
and you just had an opportunity to send the fans home happy, but not in a forced way with really great stories there because it was seven years since uh, obviously Daniel Bryan had won the titles at WrestleMania 30 and what was probably the last great pay-per-view uh, or last great WrestleMania. And in that time he had retired and given up the title and he's come back, which has been a bit of a miracle in and of itself. And he also had Edge's story, which was very, very similar in that he gave up the belt 10 years ago after beating Del Rio at Mania uh, and has fought his way to get back to the same place again. So I thought that with either of them, you could have had this just amazing feel-good moment of them of them winning. And that would have just been a great story and a great moment in time and almost would have been symbolic in a way of how we've overcome COVID or we are starting to overcome COVID. This great big opponent... Um, that Roman would have been symbolic of, um, sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Now, I can understand keeping the belt on Roman because they built him up so much. But now that we've missed out on this, what could have been a great WrestleMania moment, and, you know, I just, I don't really know that anyone beating him is going to have the same impact. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah. I think I think there's a, a, a real core point where a lot of wrestling companies get that wrong, Chef. Like, NWO was a great example of this. Building these unstoppable forces is great in wrestling, and Roman's done a fantastic job at that. From what you know, and I'm not a like a, a, a regular WWE watcher, but everything I've seen, he seems to have done a very good job. But if he's never going to get beat, what's the what's the point? And 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 this was, I agree with Shafi, a, a perfect a perfect moment. Like for for Brian to to go over there would have been, I think, incredible. And like what, I, yeah, for for. Baba Tunde or whatever it is to beat him next year, like in the in the main event, it's it's not going to be the same. What you are also forgetting, lads, is that Vince listens and he saw my prediction of Roman holding it a year, and he wants me to have the pop in December when Roman does hold it for a year, like I predicted. He's never losing, lads. He's never losing. So, so Connolly, you're saying that the pop you're going to get for going twelve months is bigger than the pop Brian would have got? Yeah, the whole yeah. of Boreham Wood is on my side. I've told them all. <laughs> And they're going to, when December 31st, that is not a New Year celebration. That is a Connolly prediction celebration. Roman <laughs> is holding the belt for a full calendar year on top of his six months last year. He's the man. I agree. I think he's going to hold it for at least a year. Vince, so. Vince listens to Conman because he's going to be the only person who's still watching at that point. <laughs> I. I, it's called the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast, and I just wanted to say that I I liked it. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the main event, and I, I mean I don't disagree with any of the feedback that Bromit and Shafi have brought to the table. You're you're right about it all. The camera cuts are terrible. They it, they probably should have finished with a baby face happy moment in front of fans as well. Like I agree with all of that, but at the same time I still liked it, and that's and I, I went away from the two nights of mania and I thought you know what that was pretty entertaining and it wasn't hard work and I'm going to sleep really well tonight because pubs are opening tomorrow like it was just I, I know we're saying like the baby face should have won but like they, I think the reason I liked the match so much was because genuinely every all three had a reason to win like it was bet, could be Danny Bryan's last Wrestlemania so he needed to win edges or come back from um, injury and sort of in the main event, but also like um, what we haven't mentioned is like, like sort of Roman's come back to the main event because he obviously went away, battled cancer, came back um, and he was going to have a huge sort of spot last year but because of COVID. He was worried about his health. He pulled out. 
So he didn't have it last year. Um, so for him, I guess for Roman himself, it's like a big comeback to WrestleMania. I know he's a heel, um, but like for him, it was sort of a big comeback as well. So I'm, I'm glad he won. Um, and it, 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 the whole double pinning thing, I know technically it's wrong, but I guess it gives Daniel Bryan an edge sort of like story-wise a reason to be like, well, actually we didn't lose or, you know, we can, they're going to have a rematch or a WrestleMania backlash, whatever they're calling it. Um, but I just thought the match was, was really good. And there was like, some callbacks I just thought like um, to other sort of previous tropes. Like one thing I'd noticed in the match, and there was a spot where I think it was um, Danny Bryan had Roman in the crossface or the other way around and Edge or someone came and just saved him from tapping out. And that it reminded me of that triple threat match with Benoit, uh, uh, Ed, uh, Shawn Michaels and Edge and uh, Triple H because that same thing happened. So it just, I think that was sort of a cool callback to that match. I don't know if it was, but it's just something I noticed. Um, but I loved it as cool a callback as that was Rome my guess is Vince probably wasn't trying to get the fans to think of Chris Benoit really why not (laughs) (laughs) but you're right yeah no that I I noticed that as well that was a cool spot and actually I just want to quickly say sorry I realize I've been really negative about the whole Mamie thing but yet it's it's literally just my personal preference and one thing I will say I watched most of the matches actually I didn't watch the Shane Braun one and I didn't watch um, the Tamina Natty ones, unfortunately. But um, I did watch most of the matches, and it did flew, uh, fly by. Um, yeah, especially definitely. that one it really went quick, which is Very yeah, nice. which is which has not been not been a WrestleMania for me for a while. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely give them credit on that front. Yeah. So now I we've think... got all the dross out of the way. Can we talk about the main event of Shane versus Braun? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Shaffy, you, you and I spoke off air. I. I thought that was maybe Shane's most impressive bump at a WrestleMania because there was no, you know, no crash mat. It wasn't, you know, like a, it was like, fuck, that's just like a hard bump onto the ring. Yeah, it was horrible. Um, and he took it really badly. Um, he didn't yeah. spread his weight at all. He just took it straight on his shoulder blades. Um, I can imagine that probably hurt the next day. Yeah, I, and I, like, you just, I can just imagine him like, you know, hobbling backstage. Dad, what did you think of that, Dad? Hey, Dad, did you see? <laughs> you know, like, just poor bastard, you know? I, I just feel really sorry for him that he has to take these horrendous bumps just to get by in life. Yeah, like, like yeah, like, in fairness, it's like just a working class guy, like, making good on his only skill, which is hurting, you know? Like, it's that's what it is. Like, it's, it's, it, it's a shame that, you know, he, he hasn't had any other opportunities given to him in his life that he has had to sacrifice his body in such a way. But anyway. Weird. Like, Shane McMahon is basically Necro Butcher, isn't he, in that way? There's no difference yeah. between them that I can think of. I, I would, yeah, I would say so. Choose, choose death. <laughs> I'm, not sure if, I'm not sure if Necro, Necro Butcher has ever drawn the same sort of numbers, though. Shane's, you know, Shane's really drew fans. So. Well, he's the best wrestler in the world. <laughs> officially, officially, officially. I like it's just my favourite thing because Shafi's not joking at all. <laughs> I, did, I, I, I genuinely, like I say, I thought every match on Night One was good, and that was no exception. Um, they told a story. Yeah. They had a memorable moment. They. They they got brawn over. They got him on the card. He probably wouldn't have been on the card otherwise. Uh, he got a win. He got to look dominant. And ultimately, wrestling is a, at its core is about good against evil, isn't it? It's about the hero overcoming the villain. And the bully got put in their place. 
and the you know it taught us all something that as long as you're seven foot tall and 300 pounds you two can stand up to your bullies <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our main event of the evening. This week's Wrestling Should Be Fun Roundtable welcomes two debutantes. This is a tag team that has single-handedly managed to end Ross the Boss's reign of terror. Please welcome... Shuffy and Roll the Benchwarmers! All right, so let's let's do it. We obviously finished there with Shane McMahon and the main part of WrestleMania, which was Shane and Braun. I love that. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let. So we've got two special guests here for the roundtable this week. So slightly different. Brummett Connolly and Phil aren't bringing a topic to the roundtable this week. We are just going to have topics from Roe and Shaf, and uh, we're going to let our guests take the floor. So Roe, do you want to lead us off with your roundtable topic? Yeah, sure. So I um, I was sticking to the Mania theme and I thought like we've had a lot of, you know, missed opportunities at WrestleMania or matches that happened, haven't lived up to the hype and the expectations or a match was placed wrong in the card or, you know, it just didn't happen. So it was more like, you know, what we think are the biggest sort of missed opportunities, stuff you know, that should have happened or did happen, didn't happen right. And I think it was inspired by what I thought, you know, from one WrestleMania was placed, I think, third or fourth and it genuinely should have been the main event of that that WrestleMania because it featured like two Hall of Famers. It had like a brother of destruction in it, and so and it went on third and it should have been last. And I, of course, I'm talking about um, from WrestleMania 23, Kane versus the Great Khali, which um, <laughs> should have been the fucking main event. No, um, but no, I mean, yeah. So it's just more just to open up the uh, the, the floor to see what we think. And like, I mean, we can talk about. Uh, Sting versus The Undertaker, which, you know, I I would have liked to have seen. Um, I didn't really watch WCW, so I wasn't familiar with how big or iconic and how parallel his sort of like character and gimmick was with The Undertaker. But I know sort of it's like one of the last few dream matches that hasn't happened. It could have happened. And I just don't understand why it didn't happen because WrestleMania 31 was probably the last last chance for for it to happen. Because Undertaker was genuinely, you know, he was better than the year before. He could still go. Sting was there. It was his first match. And they could have had that iconic match. And then, you know, they could have done, they could have swapped them out. They could have had Undertaker versus Sting. And then, uh, you know, that icon versus icon and have Taker go over, obviously. But have Sting, because Sting wanted that match as well. And they both did, I think. And all the fans did. And then have Triple H versus Wyatt, where, you know, Wyatt sort of comes after the the, the authority, taking it down. Bray would win, so that would give him. So I think that was a huge missed opportunity for me. Um, and then match-wise, you've got so many matches, which I think, you know, were booked and just didn't weren't booked properly. Like um, it was Brock and and, uh, and John Moxley, well, and uh, Ambrose, Dean Ambrose on Mania 32, which built up being like he was using, he was hinting using like chainsaws and should have been a brutal, brutal match, but it just wasn't. It was literally just a squash, pretty much a, a glorified squash. Um, and there's loads of other matches like you know, I, I, I can think of where just didn't happen or, you know, they didn't happen properly. So it's more just, yeah, it's, it's that, what you guys think, you know, 
are your biggest sort of missed opportunities from WrestleMania. And even like this year, the feed, I've, I've been very vocal about that, so I won't go on. But that was a huge missed opportunity. Um, so it's, I think every mania has something which should have happened but didn't. So yeah, I just, uh, what, you, what you guys think? One that jumps to mind for me is, um, and obviously the reason why it didn't happen was incredibly sad, um, but there was a lot of rumours that WrestleMania 22 was going to be Shawn Michaels versus Eddie Guerrero. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and fuck me, like that would have, you know, I don't have much really anything to say on that apart from that would have banged. Um, <laughs> and the other big one, I guess, is WrestleMania um, 25. And this is the other way around, obviously. Um, Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker at WrestleMania 25 was quite a popular match, but I actually, I don't think they should have run it. I think it should have been Undertaker versus Hayd Vanson, which was the original plan. I don't know <laughs> if you guys remember <laughs> But um, the British guy Hayde Vanson, who got who got who got signed up, um, app- apparently there was like, is it like Wade Barrett and Sheamus or something like that were at the same tryout, and they only picked Hayde Vanson. Anyway, they they ran one vi- vignette on SmackDown, um, and the of Hayde Vanson, and then he just got cut and then fired. But the idea is uh, the plan, the original plan for WrestleMania 25 was before it, Hayde Vanson was going to bring in all these mutant wrestlers leading up to WrestleMania that Taker would beat and then he would fight Hayd Vanson at WrestleMania 25 and instead of doing that amazing thing they just did against Shawn Michaels which is now a pretty forgotten match <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's that's they're my two um I'm gonna give our other guests a chance to go before I do because I get the feeling that uh, Shafi is surely going to mention something about WrestleMania 8 because that's his era. But, um, yeah, Shafi, you can go next, mate. Um, well, there are two big ones that um, stand out to me. And they both involve what would the guy that would be number one uh, on my wrestling mount, Rushmore, uh, but wasn't so popular at Mania, and that's uh, obviously Hogan. So two different eras of Hogan. So WrestleMania 8, they'd obviously brought in Flair and we had this massive opportunity to finally get Flair versus Hogan at Mania or, or Flair versus Hogan in any sort of meaningful feud. Uh, and it didn't happen. Obviously, it was originally planned. Uh, they so say did a lot of house shows together that didn't sell particularly well. And then they swerved to the... Uh, Flair Savage title match and Hogan Sid match, um, but that just would have been a huge, like symbolically, just would have been huge in terms of NWA versus or NWA stroke WCW versus uh, obviously WWF WWE, and I just like historically that match would have been massive. So the fact that we didn't get that and what we got instead was, you know. Hogan versus Sid, I think it's a, a massive miss. I mean, we did get, you know, she was mine before she was yours with Savage and Flair, which was great, but I think that could have been something historic at WrestleMania 8. And then Hogan again, uh, WrestleMania, 10 years later, WrestleMania 18, he obviously returns um, with the NWO. And what we got was fantastic for what it was. Uh, the Rock and Hogan, one of the most memorable WrestleManias ever. Um, but 
The Rock wasn't really the face of WWE, though. Like, not in the sense of the Monday Night Wars, I wouldn't say. Like, it was really Austin who, who, who really got WWE back on the right track and ultimately got them back ahead. Um, so Austin Hogan is a massive one that we missed out on. Um, so yeah, for me, those two Hogan matches would have had massive historical significance for two different eras, and we didn't get either of them. Um, so yeah, that's what I would have liked to have seen. I'd have brought Hogan versus Titus for this year. That was a missed opportunity. I'm trying to think. So this, I know, like Sheffield shit on me for poor Mania knowledge, but was that Mania Austin versus Scott Hall? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. What the fuck and, was that about? So I was, I was going to say as well that like Austin really took it well as well because you know he came out and jobbed Hall out, and then he went home for six months, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, we yeah. did get one of the best stunners of all time in that match, though. Yeah, some people say the best stunners of all time. I think it's the worst stunner of all time. <laughs> Um, the best stunner of all time was taken by Jake or Logan Paul on Sunday. <laughs> Not Lindsay McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Conman, you got anything that comes to mind for you for Mania? Well, I think I think Mania Eight is the big one because even though I I think in both instances eight and eighteen you do get something great out of what they did book. I do agree that Flair. Savage is iconic, and I watched the W um, where they put all the promos together for that, that feud. It is great, uh, but Flair Hogan would have created equally brilliant promos, probably. So that's completely fair. They would have gone a different angle, and it would have been great. Um, and with eighteen, the same Hogan Rock is one of my favorite matches. Although if you watch it with the sound off, it's you know it's fine, um, but it is just one of the best crowd interaction matches of of all time. So. I completely agree that they're both missed opportunities, but the one that I think of isn't probably as big as them, but I just think at WrestleMania 2000, uh, Chris Jericho could have been in that main event. That's the one that sticks with me. Um, I know that they had a load of dudes in that main event. I don't know. The story still makes sense. Like everyone's reason to be in that main event, even though the match, you know, first hill win and everything didn't pan out. I don't see any reason why Jericho couldn't have been in that. And uh, it felt like when he won that belt in the false finish on Raw was a good lead-in. Um, so I'd argue that maybe that was an opportunity that was missed. Um, in would terms of matches... Show, Sorry? Would, for you, would that be a, a Jericho over Big Show? I assume. Yeah, I guess. And you could get the Rock Big Show storyline, which is actually quite good because it's a genuine, you know, his feet hit the floor. Maybe you get that out of the way at the pay-per-view before, but the actual era was moving so fast, I think. You know, they were, they were on the fly all the time. Maybe they just went as they as they were going. Um, the the other thing I'd say is, in terms of matches and the way they're booked, I completely agree with the shouts already. I think Moxley Brock's a great, uh, Ambrose, I've done the same mistake. Uh, Ambrose uh, Brock is a great um, example of matches that could have been way better. But um, I just wish they'd bring the money in the back bank match back to Mania. I think yeah. that's such a great addition. I know we're not going to get that. And, and it, it still is entertaining as its own pay-per-view and it, it does its job. But, when the money in the bank was at Mania. When I've gone back, because it wasn't in... I dropped out of wrestling during that time. When I've gone back, it feels like a really good uh, sort of set-the-table match for Mania. So I wish they'd bring that match back to Mania. Yeah, I agree. I, I, 
I, I've got a couple quick ones that were just dream matches of mine that we never got to see. Um, these were two matches that were all, like, it was always in the rumour mill that um, this is going to be the year that HBK comes back to have his last match, you know? But he, and he ended up going and doing it in Saudi Arabia in, like, one of the historically worst matches of all time. It's such a shame that, like, he has done that as his last match rather than coming back and actually wrestling AJ Styles or Daniel Bryan. Because every year, I always remember reading on the internet, there was always a rumour, HBK versus trainee Daniel Bryan this year at Mania. HBK wants the match and it just never came, you know. And it might not, it, it could have just been some guy on the internet like me making shit up. Maybe it was never even in the works. But I just remember hearing both those matches mentioned and I'm just like, I just... I, I, you know, my first option is fine. Yeah, HBK never wrestled another match after that Undertaker match. He was the one guy that retired and didn't come back. But because he did come back and have a terrible match, I wish it was Daniel Bryan or AJ Styles at WrestleMania instead, you know? But that's, that, that, that's just me dream booking a match, matches that I thought would have been cool. But that's, that's all. I think you guys touched on all the great, all the great ones. So all, yeah, I, I don't have any others really. I think the, uh, to Matt's point, that Mania 2001, Jericho was supposed to be in it, I think. I read somewhere he was actually, he was on some of the adverts as well, the, the, the posters where it was. But last yeah. minute, again, last minute Vince was like, this guy's too small. And then he replaced him with a retired Mick Foley, which made no sense. But yeah, I think it was he was supposed to be and it would have made the match a lot better. Um, but another one, last one, which I, I was watching WrestleMania 22 the other day, just... I just had it on the network and it was, it's actually a really underrated WrestleMania because there, you know, there's a lot on that card, but one of the things which was again, a missed opportunity was doing the, uh, the classic Undertaker and Kurt Angle match at No Way Out. Like they could have done it at WrestleMania and given us that, you know, a five-star match at WrestleMania adding to the Undertaker sort of streak. But then instead you had Taker versus Mark Henry in a casket match. And then obviously Angle was in the triple threat, but they could have swapped that out and just had Orton versus, um, Mysterio for the for the title and just had Taker and Angle have a, a classic at WrestleMania, but they just didn't. They did it at No Way Out. I got to see them. Um, so obviously, when they used to do big matches like that, they would they would like drill those matches at house shows, and I got to see them have that match at a house show in Australia in Brisbane, and it was just I remember just thinking, "Fuck, that match is so good!" Like one day they're going to put that on pay per view, and then they yeah. yeah they did yeah it was so, it was so so good yeah. Should we? Yeah. So, Chef, did you have a, a roundtable topic? Yeah. So, this came about from a conversation I had with Brum maybe about a week or so ago. In the aftermath of Will Ospreay winning the IWGP title. And during this conversation, I said to Brum, Is Will Ospreay the only English world champion ever? Or who was the last English world champion? And Brum said to me, Well, do you count Nick Aldis? And I said, Absolutely not. <laughs> um, so I was like, no, I don't really count the N- the NWA title at this point. Isn't a world title to me. It doesn't count. He's like, oh well, what about the? Uh, I can't even remember the promotion now. Brums at GFW. Yeah, he's, he's been. I think he's been Impact GM GFW champion. I think he was ring. Dad getting a shout out before Impact. Bloody hell, guys! Come on, that's great. <laughs> Oh, anyway. What, what, you upset that ring kicking got a shout out before Impact? I'm, I'm, I'm shouting that a promotion no one remembers is getting a shout out over Impact. 
so yeah, we went through all these promotions and I didn't count any of them as world titles. Um, quite justified, I think. Um, obviously, at one point in time, definitely I would count the NWA world title as a world title, but not these days. So the question to you guys really is, what do you consider to be a world title? Which titles do you think actually count uh, as world titles and why? Jeez, that's that's a cracking question. Yeah, that, that yeah, was. I, I, I think I described it as a banger to you guys. A it might be. Banger. It might be the best roundtable question so far. I don't want to oversell it. It's fantastic. Well, well while, while you want to think about it, do you want me to go first because I've actually had time to think about it? Um, yeah, we chatted about it before. Let's try to work out what I think is is staples for a world title. So I think it's got to be defended multiple times a year. It's got to be against opponents from uh, multiple countries. There's, there can only be one per company. So you can't have the world and the universal for WWE, for example. Um, you just have one. It is that you designate the world title. Um, I think it's got to have a 10-year dynasty. I don't think you could be like AEW and Rock Up Tail. You're a world champion now. I think that belt's got to have a thing. And I think it's got to be defended at some point or in, in at least within like maybe a past five-year span to at least 20,000 people live. Otherwise, I just don't think you're a big enough company. So based on that, I think there are... I'll tell you the ones I've eliminated for it. You're probably thinking the JWA Japanese Heavyweight Championship that ran from 1954 to 1958. I don't count that because it didn't run long enough. Um, that was then replaced because those guys were doing crazy numbers and they were ticking all the other boxes. That was replaced by the NWA International Heavyweight title, that doesn't count because the, the, there's only one NWA title. Um, the the uh, Lucha Libre International in the early 80s, or the UWA in Mexico, was doing crazy numbers, ticked all the other boxes, but they didn't really have a proper... They had the UWA heavyweight title, but it wasn't it wasn't defended at all the big shows. So I don't think that... I don't think they were... It's a... I don't think the company were title-specific enough. Um FMW was was similar. They were doing crazy numbers, but the Brass Knuckles heavyweight title, it wasn't, it also, it wasn't, uh, it didn't hold, it didn't meet the 10-year rule, even though they were doing crazy numbers. And unfortunately, even though it was made by my mate Masawa, I think the the GHC heavyweight title in Noah, even though they were doing, ticking all the other boxes, it, it wasn't established for 10 years when they were hitting the 20,000 crowds. Um, quick Shout outs to Triple A, Mishinoku Pro, UWFI, who all did 20,000 plus. I did a lot of research on this. All did 20,000 plus shows at a time. But again, none of them held a, a, like a, a world championship belt seriously at the time. And finally, World Wrestling Council in Puerto Rico, um, like stuff like World Class Championship Wrestling and Mid South, they all fell under the NWA umbrella when they were doing those numbers. So I don't count them. And finally, the universal title in the WWE, I, I don't count because I think WWE can only have one. I'm not eliminating both, and, I, and obviously I, I see their world title. So to wrap that up, the five titles in wrestling history that I recognise, the original world heavyweight title, uh, the Jim Londos one, uh, definitely counts. There was the uh, the NWA World's title. I, I agree with Shafi, no, no longer, but at the time, uh, it was, um, and then I'd, I, 
But I, what I'd actually say is I think its lineage switch, uh, switches over to me to the WCW big gold belt. I think basically when WCW took that, I think that then becomes the world title. And then when that gets bought out, that no longer becomes one. WWF, I start recognising their world title from about the 70s. So the first Bruno reign I don't recognise because they weren't pulling the numbers. But by um, by the late 70s, um, they I, I count WWF's world title. And all the way up to date, obviously, it's the, the biggest company in the world. IWGP, um, from 1997 onwards, um, that's been um, 10 years when they were... Uh, it been been running 10 years then, and they'd been pulling numbers easy and finally as a 1999 i'd also count all japan's triple crown i don't think i'd do any more uh, right now i think there are only two i think it's only the iwgp title and the wwe world title i'd count as world titles but in history i would count the other three as well sorry lads that was a little bit long but that's <laughs> a lot of painstaking research went into that so um that's my answer can't argue with any of that um, I've got no research. I didn't know the question was coming. But I'll, I, you know me, I, I like to base things less on facts and statistics and more on emotion and feel. And there's a couple that feel more world tidally. There's no facts or statistics to back it up. But the two that I'd like to bring to the table, I, I recognise ECW as a world championship during that time, even though it's nowhere near 20,000 people. And it wasn't 10 years. They, they maxed it, I think, probably. Something like that. Well, but like the re and the reason it is because of this is because I look at some of the wrestlers that held it and I and I see them as world champions, rather than like the criteria for the belt. It's more about the the man or the wrestler or the superstar that holds it for me. And I just look at like when I when I look at Taz holding that title for me, Taz was a world champion when he held that belt. Well, I'm not, I just, I feel like if someone says to me, oh, Taz was a world champion in his career, I'll say yes. I'm not going to say Taz wasn't a world champion. And the same thing, the other one for me, very quickly, is uh, Ring of Honor. Like, And that this is just me now. Like, no one's going to agree with me on this one. But to me, the Ring of Honor title was the most important championship in the world for that period of time. It was when Samoa Joe held that title. You cannot tell me that Samoa Joe, CM Punk, um, James Gibson, you cannot tell me that they were not world champions. The American Dragon, Brian Danielson, Homicide, Takeshi Morishima, they were world champions. And I'm not having it that they weren't. I don't care. You can cancel me. This is my last podcast appearance. But they will, <laughs> those names I mentioned, they were world champions. Um, That's all I've got. Uh, well, on that, Dom, sorry, I know that, I know that we've gone long. I'm, I'm just genuinely interested in this. So um, from your point of view, I mean, I am, you know, you know me, I'm RH in the mid-noughties. I think it's the second best run that any company's ever done. And I was, like you, a big um, ECW fanboy as well. So I'm not, not going to shit on those takes. I'm just going to ask for both those companies, what periods would you class them as those world championships as being? Surely world championships. If that's the question, surely all, right? You can't pick and choose. Well, I, I, yeah, you're probably right. The, the the fair answer is all. But for Ring of Honor, which I do, I remember the lineage a little bit better than ECW off the top of my head, I think. And something that – so Ring of Honor actually changed the name of their title, like kind of unofficially, from just like the Ring of Honor title to the Ring of Honor world title when Samoa Joe started defending it outside of America. Perfect. So when, when when Samoa Joe actually came and defended it in different promotions around the world, like I don't know exactly what they were, and maybe they just made it up. Maybe it was like a Pat Patterson Rio de Janeiro thing. 
But like, I remember on all the shows, I'd go, "Yeah, Samoa Joe's just just back from a tour of Puerto Rico where he defended the title, and it's it's the Ring of Honor World Title. Samoa Joe made it a World Title." Like, I remember that was a thing on on the commentary. And then Austin Aries obviously beat Samoa Joe, and Aries' reign was all about he was the person that was going to defend it the most. So Aries, like his big goal with the title was like he defended it in more countries than Joe and had more defenses than Joe. Like, and he was like, "I've got to I've got to make this more of a World Title." So, I mean, my actual answer is probably the same as Connolly. Like, probably anyone that's held it is a world champion. But um, if if we're really going to try to come up with some sort of criteria to back up my statement, the fact that Samoa Joe went and defended it around the world changed the title to a world title in Ring of Honor. Um, as far as ECW, I don't know. <laughs> I just... I just like Taz and Raven, you know, like I just, I don't know. It, I can't tell you why. Yeah. Not when Just Incredible was holding it. Yeah, no, it, it was less important then. Well, the, the, the te- well, we could go into about the television title was more important at that period of time, but that's that's something completely different. That's living the gimmick there, Dominic. Yeah, well, so you, you, <laughs> the DVD you gimmick on, there. <laughs> you, you marks on the internet can say it with me. It's Dom Van Der. All right, yeah. I am to jump in now uh, while there's an opportunity. I maybe controversially think like if you've won a world title anywhere, but the fed, there's kind of an asterisk. It's like you haven't won it in the biggest modern day company. And I know that maybe that was the hot take. Shafi's nodding. Maybe that was Shafi's hot take. But um, like I, I recognize, I think Aldis used to run it as a gimmick that he was the first British heavyweight champion, which obviously was to probably garner some heat in this island. But um, I, I'll still be like, oh, what promotion they went in? Oh, yeah, they're a world champion, but they're not the world champion. And that's just because my mind has been brought up on major American federations like WWE and WWF telling me that they are the biggest show in town and they have the world title. So, yeah, I would only recognise the... Even the universal title, I don't think I would recognise as a world champion, even though I'd probably allow Drew or whoever. Drew's a WWE champion, though, right? Or is he universal? I get confused even which belt is which. But um, I would probably allow either one winning the main WWE belts to probably say they were the world champion, but because they're the biggest in the world. But um, again, I completely... Brum's monologue can't be argued with. And... uh, and again, with Dom, I completely get like, in my heart, I feel they're a world champion if they... It's a brilliant question because I don't think there's a right answer. But for personally, the, the only belt that matters is the lineage of the, the Fed. So what, what about pre-Mania 1? Would you, who's world champion? Well, or, then, or, again, or, yeah, I don't know. It's a, I, I don't know. Like NWA and like the what became the WCW title, I guess. Again, my lineage might be off there because I'm, I'm listening to revised history, probably. I've not really looked into this stuff. But... But the, oh, oh, and also, the other question to that is, during the Monday Night Wars, when ratings are going up and down, is who your recognised world champion is changing week to week? Or... Exactly. No, this is... Rom, you have beautifully pointed out the complete flaws in what I am saying. I, I, I don't think that's a flaw. Yeah. I, think that, I think that's just genuinely interesting. But I, I would recognise David Arquette as more of a world champion than Samoa Joe, and I know that's going to make Dom's head explode. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's how I kind of process it because I was brought up on that. So like I completely get the argument opposite that says that the Ring of Honor title is more prestigious than Pick Your Bell. 
but like it just comes down to what I think. Yeah, it, it's a mad question. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, and that, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't disagree with you. I, I just, yeah. I, I just think it's interesting about in situations like that where there are genuinely arguing with two world titles vying for yeah. each other. It's more that I can see the flaws in my own argument, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm talking shit, but yeah. But, but before Shafi's hot take, have you got a hot take, bro? Yeah, so for me, I guess it's got to be the uh, the twenty four seven M twenty five seven eleven. You know, <laughs> which, you know, it's a world title because it'd be defended anywhere, anytime. That, that makes a world title for me. Um, as it goes back to hardcore title, um, no, I think I don't know as much as you know you have outside the WWE. For, for me, it would be the W the WWE title or the WWF, which became the WWE title, and then the big gold belt, which was of the WCW one and then became the world heavyweight. Those two for sure. Um, ECW one, yeah, like I didn't watch ECW as much back when it was properly ECW. And then when obviously it became WWE ECW, I didn't really consider that, you know, as a a world title because I mean, Vince McMahon bloody won it. So it doesn't really, that wasn't really one. So for me, it would be the WWE and the the world heavyweight sort of titles that I would recognize as well. And it goes back to what Matt said, it's purely because of the biggest companies in, in wrestling company in the world um so their sort of title i recognize um i don't know as much about ring on and uh, new japan and stuff to sort of like think of it as sort of a world champion but it does make sense like a title should be one that gets defended around the world um at different sort of companies so you know it, it makes sense for any title that does that but yeah for me it's the two wwe ones and the universal one i guess it was, it has, it is now, what was the big gold belt? It's just now big, well, was red, now it's blue. So it's, you know, that is their secondary title. But I think WWE won Trump's now because purely because of history and lineage, um, it's bigger. But it's weird the universal title gets treated bigger now, um, just because, you know, Roman's got it or Brock had it before. Um, so it's, it's those two for me. So I'm going to blow your mind here because you just said that the WWE ECW title doesn't count as a world title because Vince held it. But he also held the WWF title. Oh, shit, you're right, he did. He <laughs> <laughs> did, right. So le- right so there, are no there are no <laughs> world titles. There are no world titles, yeah. That's what I get this is where Shaq is going. There are no world titles. Uh, not quite. I mean, I try and think about Similarly to Brum, like what sort of criteria do I have? And I'm not quite as rigid or as researched as Brum or as intelligent. Um, Agree on all three points. Yeah. But but my accent isn't as funny either, so it's okay. Um, I don't... I don't think you can have more than one world title. Brum said you can't have more than one world title in, in a company. I don't think you can have more than one world title in a country. Um, generally. Uh, the one exception I would have is during the Monday Night Wars, because I would say they were both world titles. Um, two massive companies, two, you know, stacked main events. Um, so I'd class them both as world titles. Uh, um, nowadays, in terms of WWE, I class them as half world titles. And what I mean by this is, like, Cena maybe has 16 reigns, but he's done it in a company where there are two, two belts. So to me, they only count as half. So he's only halfway to Flair's record. Um, and I round down. So if you're like Jinder Mahal, you know, or Great Carly, 
and you've won one, then you actually you you've got zero. Um, Jack Swagger, you know, so they don't count. Sorry, Ro. Um, Damn it. <laughs> um, but to be honest, in in terms of Ric Flair, obviously they say he's won sixteen. The sort of evidence to suggest he's actually won about twenty three or twenty four. To me, I don't really know how I feel about his run before WWE the first time. I'm not sure that I really count it either. And I'm not entirely sure why. Um, I just kind of feel like he was a big fish in a small pond and you're always going to get more opportunities. And it's just a bigger example of the Nick Aldis thing. You know, he's wrestling nobody. So I don't even know who he wrestles, when he wrestles, where he wrestles. So it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't feel like a world champion. Um, Flair obviously did win the title a couple of times in 92. Um, but I'm just, I'm not sure how I feel about his reign before that, whether I class him as a world champion before that, which I know will blow some minds as well. But I mean, Steamboat was NWA champion in what, 90, 89, 90, bro? Yeah, I think, I think, I think that trilogy was, was 89, wasn't it? So... I mean, do I class Steamboat as a world champion? I'd say probably not. Um, I don't think he, when he was in the big leagues, as it were, or the Fed to Conman, um, he was never above the mid card. He certainly wasn't anywhere near the main event. So I'm not sure that dropping down a division and winning a title makes you, uh, you know, winning the championship isn't better than winning the Premier League. Um, but I love DCW. I don't class it as a world title. Um, I didn't watch ROH. I don't class that as a world title. TNA don't class that as a world title, even though they had some great champions and some great matches. Um, yeah, that's. I guess that's where I sit on it. And to bring it back full circle to Will Ospreay, I do, I do class the IWGP title as a world title, particularly, I mean, Okada to me is the best in the world. Um, his His title reign was, I think, the best title reign in history. Um, so that's definitely a world title for me. Um, but there are times in history when I wouldn't have classed it as one. And <laughs> Osprey may be capable of taking it back to those times. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess the the, the the world champion is, you know, whoever you believe it is, I guess. Um, speaking... Speaking of the world championship, we've gone Broadway here, lads. Let's um, can we get a ten minute book of bingo in? Can we can we set ourselves to make it a sharpish one? B i n g o and bingo was his name. Oh, this is Booker Bingo. Yeah, that's it. So, so Conley won it last week, so he's going to give us two names and we have to basically book a feud or a match and just how it would go between two random wrestlers, okay? But, like, you, got, you guys are the guests, so, you, like, obviously Brummett and I will take the death seat and go first or second and you guys can main event. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, one sec. No pressure. Okay, I've got the, uh, the two competitors for you. Um... First competitor is Santino Morella. 
The second competitor is the current NXT UK Women's Champion, Kaylee Ray. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, so first out of Donald Brown, do I pick? Is it up to me? Who goes first? Uh, yeah. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't mind taking it. What Kaylee Ray versus Santina Morella? Yeah, Brown, go in. Right. So, basically, on Raw, there's a um, they start doing the guest hosts, um, but they find that with the ratings, they've been really dwindling with the kind of. So obviously, WWE goes for the kind of lowest common denominator stuff, and these like celebrities that they usually get, I've never heard of. But what they do, that they, they realise we're going we're going to put it up a level, and for and for Raw in Glasgow, they're bringing um, writer of like the thick of it and brass eye and all that stuff, Armando Iannucci. Um, and he, and so he's the guest host. It's, it's, it's really good. It's a lot of, a lot of like subtle jokes in there that, that people like that, that you don't usually get on Raw. And it starts getting really popular. Um, and like, actually like kind of the, the, like the hipster, all the hipsters in both the, like the US and the UK get really into it. And they're always getting these esoteric guest hosts, but because Armando Iannucci does so well, he becomes the commissioner of Raw. And he's billed as this, you know, obviously he's uh, he's the most famous um, Scottish-Italian man, right? And he's always billed as he comes in, you know, the great Scottish-Italian commissioner, um, Armando Iannucci. And he's massively over, obviously. He's, he's huge. He's, like, bigger than Mike Adamley. He's really, really over. And um, but So what happens is, the um like Santino comes out and set like makes his big return, huge pop. And he's just like, Look, Armando, I love the work you're doing. You've been the best best raw commissioner in a long time. But stop pretending you're Scottish. I don't care what your accent's like. Look at your surname, embrace the Italian, right? And he gets backed. Nunzio comes out, um, all those lads, top Tony Marmaluke, FBI backing him up and say like, and there's a big thing and like and 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 Armando's going no no I'm I'm truly Scottish right I'm I'm not I, you know I love my Italian roots but you know I've brought up in Scotland this is what really matters to me and it starts getting heated like Tony Marmaluke takes him out and like Santino has to be like no we want him on our side and there's a big battle but eventually Santino just loses it and just beats the shit out of Armando Iannucci with a with a steel chair puts the Italian ring on one post and burns the Scottish flag on the other. Drew McIntyre runs out, um, but big Sal Graziano from ECW hits him once and writes <laughs> off Drew's career. That's the end of Drew's career. He's done. So what they have to do instead, Kaylee Ray then runs out and goes, look, Santino, you've disgraced my country. You've, dis- you've, you've ended Drew McIntyre's career. And you've also disgraced the best Raw commissioner of all time, Amanda Iannucci. I'm gonna, we're gonna fight in the main event of WrestleMania, and forget about the belt that's going on the pre-show. All the belts, all the all the 14 World Championships are going on the pre-show. Main, the Mania is just going to be me and you, and whoever wins, it's going to be the, the WWE's biggest title, which is what nationality Amanda Iannucci recognizes. And they go, and the thing, and they have this incredible match. They they put they put them on first, but because it's so good, they fight for all four hours of Mania, right? And at the end, because they, you know they've got to turn the lights off, they 
Armando Inucci gets the mics and say, look, guys, we've run out of time. I've got to call it a draw. And then he says, but so what we've proven that both the Scots and Italians are both incredible people. You're incredible um, competitors. And I knew what I always knew. I am half Scottish and half Italian. And it's so powerful that Santino and Kaylee Ray just start weeping, embracing the ring, and then have a live sex celebration for three hours, which is obviously missed mania, but is a recorded segment. And then it, that is what the full roar after WrestleMania is. So that's what I'm going with. Dom? I like it because it's it's logical. It was well-booked. It was based in reality, which all the best wrestling stories are. Brilliant. Um, I'm going to – I'm imagining this. I'll try to try to be brief. Um, imagine that um, WWE are trying to cash in on, like, a bit of, like, real-world pop culture drawing power. And so one year um, – like Glasgow Rangers make it to the Champions League final and they're going to play against Juve. Um, so WWE are like, okay, we're going to cash in on this. Yeah, we're going to get involved with some soccer and we're going to use this soccer in the Champions League final to draw ourselves a crowd. So we're going to have the Champions League final match as the main event of the first hour of Raw on the Monday before the Champions League final that weekend. And they're thinking to themselves, well, uh, who have we got around here? We've got these Scottish wrestlers, um, Drew McIntyre. Nah, he's from Air. He's not Glaswegian. Um, what about oh, Noam Dar? He's Glaswegian, isn't he? Oh, yeah, but no one can understand what he says. We need to subtitle his promos. Oh, okay, let's get Kaylee Ray in. She, I don't even know if she's from Glasgow, but can you stick with me here? So they get Kaylee Ray in, and she's wearing, like, a, a Glasgow, a, a Glasgow, a Rangers kit. And... Um, and she, she, she comes out, she's cut this promo, she's like, we're going to smash you at the weekend. And all of a sudden, here comes Santino Morella in a Juve kit. And who's this with him? It's Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo is in the corner of Santino Morella. And it looks like, you know, obviously Morella is just, just absolutely giving it to Kayla. He's going to win this easily for the pride of Italy and for Juve. But hang on, there's a run-in at the end. Who is it? It's Glasgow's favourite son, Stephen Gerrard, the manager of Rangers. And I'm saying this because I don't know a single Rangers player. I only know Gerrard. Gerrard comes in, makes the save, um, and he boots a soccer ball into Santino's bollocks. And Santino goes down and one, two, three, and Rangers win the Champions League final on Raw and get beaten 7 0 in the final at the weekend. Nice. So we, we, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, Shafi wants to say something, so he can go, he can go third and Roe can main event. Oh, great. I, I, think, that's a, I think that's only fair because Roe is the special guest. Um, so, Kaylee Ray. She makes it to the main roster. Um, she obviously missed the night after WrestleMania for that big debut, but it's okay. So she makes it to the main roster. She's brilliant in the ring. She's winning matches, but she's not really connecting with the audience. No one can really understand what she's saying. Um, she's just she's not really getting over, despite the fact that she's absolutely brilliant. The fans just don't really get it. Um, you know, she's got a bit of a an unusual accent 
Um, and it's just creating this barrier. So WWE come up with this brilliant idea that to help her connect with the fans, they're going to bring in another character, um, you know, who has an unusual accent, who's already massively over. So they bring in Santino as her manager, as a bit of an oddball couple to help her connect with the crowd. And it works really well. She starts getting a bit more popular. They have a lot of these sort of comedy skits backstage. Um, you know, and she starts, you know, maybe selling the old T-shirt. Who knows? Fantastic. Um, but as time goes on, you can kind of see she's gotten lost a little bit in the shuffle. She's not really moving towards the title. Like on her on her debut night, she said she was coming to win the title and she wanted to, you know, be a champion for Scotland and all this other stuff. And that kind of seems to have turned into a little bit of a sideshow of Santino. And as the weeks go on, you can start to see she's becoming a little bit more bitter every week that she's sharing this spotlight with Santino. Um, And there's a lot of talk about the dissension. Um, But ultimately, they make up. You know, everything's fantastic. Because she realises that without Santino, she's no one. She'll be back in NXT UK, wrestling in front of, you know, maybe Gary Lineker and three BT employees. I don't know. Um, so she embraces the fact that she's with him, that he's massively popular. And so Raw comes to Glasgow and she wants to really show her appreciation for everything that Santino's done for making her a household name. So she shows him the delights of Glasgow, of Scotland. Um, she shows him, you know, the traditional dress. She gets the bagpipes in. She's he's getting to see all the culture. It's going fantastically well. And finally, it comes around to bringing in the traditional Scottish food. And it looks a bit beige. He's not sure what it is. You know, there's quite a lot of batter involved. Um, but, you know, Santino, he's adventurous. He'll try anything once. So he starts tucking into this deep fried food. And he's like, what is this? Like this, I've never had anything like this before. What is it? And then he realizes that he's eaten a deep fat fried cobra. Where we get the <laughs> And this is where we get the hill turn from Kaylee Ray. She starts beating him down, forcing this cobra in his mouth. You know, and it's just <laughs> It's brutal because you know you can see all the sock fibers everywhere. You know, it's not a real snake, you know, we're not inhumane. Um but yeah, it's it's his cobra, which, and you know, from this there's only one place to go. We need a match that will signify the hatred that is now built between these two, but will also take into account, you know, the different cultures that they've both got. So we are going to have the second ever Nigerian drum match between Santino Morella and Kaylee Ray, and. I'm not really sure where we're going to go from here. So I'm going to leave it up to your imaginations. <laughs> Great booking. Excellent. That is, that is again, again, outstanding. Ro, you have got a hell of a main event to put on here, brother. I don't know how I'm going to follow that. I think that should have been the main event. This is, this is going to be, I'm going to be like John Serena Mays at 27, trying to top what's happened before. Um, God. Um, 
So I don't know who Kaylee Ray is. That's a that's a good start. <laughs> I've, had to Google, I've literally had to Google her, being who she is, and I've got her name wrong. I've got something else. But yeah, okay. So she's the NXT Gear Champion. So um, we she's obviously in Scotland. So um, this is WrestleMania forty or whatever forty one, um, and it's you know it's a big deal. It's the first ever WrestleMania in the UK. Um, so they've come, they've come to the UK finally, um, and uh, as part of you know the, the match, the match card, Vince brings back obviously you know that very famous and much loved um, Miss WrestleMania Battle Royal from WrestleMania 25 to the UK, um, and Kaylee Ray is uh, is one of the contenders in the Battle Royal, and uh, you know she's thrown out everyone, she's thrown out all sorts of competitors, and right when she's celebrating her win, um, Santina Marella makes her triumphant return. And throws her over the top rope um, to win the title of Miss WrestleMania UK, um, and she holds that. For, <laughs> she goes on to hold that, and obviously Kylie Rose pissed off. She's she's like, "Fuck this!" You know, I've been beaten by by not by by fucking Santina Marella, war fucking people. So she demands a rematch, um, and she demands a, a match for for the uh, Miss WrestleMania UK trophy and title. Um, and obviously, as as um, you know, Vince thinks trophies, whether they should be defended or challenged, they shouldn't be defended anywhere else other than Saudi. So you know, they, they <laughs> at, their next, at their next big Saudi show, Super Showdown, or Crown Jewels, or Golden Jewels, whatever you want to call it, they have the match: Santina Marella versus Kaylee Ray, um, and it's a big deal because it's the first ever UK ch- or championship match or trophy match for a sort of woman intergender match in Saudi. Um, and they 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 book the match, um, and uh, Kay Ray uh, finally gets her triumphant win um, and wins the Miss WrestleMania UK title. Except it's not in the UK; it's in Saudi, um, and uh, it makes no fucking sense. But that's what I'm doing. So stick with it. That's it. That's all I got. I know we say this probably every week, you know, but the standard is so high again across the board. God. Um, Right, let me I'll unpack why. Four of us for the, to bring out Santina as well. <laughs> no. Yeah, um, so when Brum started, I thought he's won. He brought up Armando Inucci, and I thought, where's he going? And then immediately, when the Scottish Italian uh, influence came in, I thought, oh wow, I, I can see where this is going. Fantastic uh, program book there. You let yourself down with a four-hour match, which I don't think anyone wants to see. So I'm going to disqualify you based on the length of the match, even though the message might have been good. Um, Dom, again, I'm, the only reason I'm voting against Dom's as great an angle as it is, and as much as I'd love to see Ronaldo wrestling or in the in the sphere along with uh, Stephen Gerrard, is I'm just not sure who Kaylee Ray supports, and I don't want to offend her because in Scotland it's a bit more precarious than it is in the UK to assume that she supports one of the Glasgow sides. So I'm just going to leave that for that reason, which means I don't know what this means for Booker Bingo going forward, but it's out of the the guests and they were both. It means whoever sens- you pick has got to come back next week now. They don't have a choice. Just both sensational angles, like all four were, but again, the, the standard lifted and lifted. Um, I think I'm going to edge. I mean, I could I could talk about how great both of you were. They were both fantastically told angles, but... The only reason I'm going to pick this person is because they booked the match, and that's Roe. He booked a winner. He, he put, he picked the feud. Shappy had it in the bag. He booked everything, and then he didn't want to book the match. He bottled it. He did the classic Fiend Seth, where he didn't want to book a winner, 
And I'm going to go for Rowe. Rowe, well done. That is a sensational angle. We all want to see it. Shappy's angle was equally as good, but you booked a match. So that is the reason. Crown Jewel 2029 or whatever. Out of 10, 10, both of you get a 10. It's literally just the fact Rowe booked a match. And I have to have a deciding factor. I mean, mean, the fact that a big big credit to Rowe on the fact that he managed to... uh, um, to beat a match, which or a beat a feud which involved battering the cobra. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cobra. No, don't get me wrong. Elite battering level. the cobra is probably the best individual moment of all four. But, <laughs> but he put the match. Yeah, top work, hey. lads. This be... well, congratulations, Ro, and what what an absolute pleasure this has been, lads. I don't know if you guys want to keep talking. You can. I've really got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Have we gone long? You'd appear. Oh, mate. <laughs> Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. All right, scholars, there we have it. Another episode done and dusted in the books. Thank you so, so very, very much to Shafi and to Ro for coming on as guests to replace Ross and Boss Casey on probably the biggest wrestling week of the year, unlike the boss to have a week off. Uh, Thanks very much to Brummett and Connolly, as always, and mostly thank you to you, dear listener. I'll tell you what, if you've made it to the end of this, fair play to you, because this was an absolute marathon I guess we'll get around and we'll do it all again next week until then though drink lots of water look after your mates